Books, booze, and B-movies with your favorite tipsy cuties. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Lit, the podcast Uh, where a college professor slash published author discusses an amazing work of literature while drunk, and a cinephile (laughs) discusses a movie, typically a garbage movie, also while drunk, and hopes that you enjoy or choose to go out and read these things or watch these things that we're talking about if nothing else you enjoy just listening to us ramble on drunkenly about some of our favorite or not favorite things (laughs) out in the world (laughs) so please enjoy this episode of real lit oh my god you made me sound so professional i don't know what to say now well you are professional fair i guess fooled everyone again you make money talking about literature that is true i do do that and writing literature so you're a professional wow i am i am not (laughs) well you are a professional you're just not a professional in the movie area everyone's a professional in something yeah that's fair (laughs) the more not i'm not a professional movie critic Yet. I am not getting paid to critique movies at the moment. Someday. We'll see. We're working on it. Oh my god. Could you imagine? Oh my god. I'm sweating. I'm sweating even more than I was before. I think my body is like, you you shoved that entire, you shoved that entire sandwich and half a bag of chips in your body in five minutes. Like, I need at least 35% of your energy to deal with that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Happy spoopy season. This yeah. is supposed to be our Halloween episode. Yeah, at least uh, one of them. We might we might end up doing another one next week, but we'll see. Yeah, probably. So I'm super fucking excited for what I chose this week. I'm like, I am like more excited than I need to be or anyone else probably would be that I'm doing this. So this is our spoopy Halloweeny episode. So I decided for a Halloween spooky theme that we are going to do a Shakespearean play. Oh, nice. People go, you chose Shakespeare for Halloween? Yes, I did. Yes, I fucking did. Yeah, he's got some creepy shit. And after you listen to this, you are going to never, ever, ever doubt how metal and Halloween-y Shakespeare is. So today, I am doing Titus Andronicus by William Shakespeare. Titus Andronicus is probably my favorite Shakespeare play. I should say not that. I should say my favorite Shakespearean tragedy. That's what it is. It's my favorite tragedy of Shakespeare's. And I mean, aren't they all tragedies, kind of? No. Uh, Shakespeare <laughs> has written, <laughs> he writes comedies and he writes tragedies, and then he has historical plays. They like categorize them oh, as yeah. historical, but all of his historical plays are Richard also III and tragedies. Richard II and, yeah. Yeah. The difference between his historical plays and his just strictly tragedy plays is that 
the historical plays are actually supposed to be based in real history versus his just tragedy ones that are him just writing about whatever. Um, but his history plays are also fucking tragedies because history is tragic as fuck, especially what Shakespeare was writing about a lot. So he writes more <laughs> tragic stuff than comedy stuff, but he does write both. But this is my favorite tragedy of Shakespeare by fucking far. And the first time I read this was in, I had to take a Shakespeare course. Um, yes, a course all about Shakespeare when I was getting my bachelor's degree. And uh, this was one of the uh, plays that my professor made us read. And um, I was instantly in love with both my professor and this play. Um, so like, <laughs> this is Shakespeare's first tragedy. This is the first tragedy that he ever wrote. And it's pegged for about maybe like a 1580s, 1590s at the latest, but um, really, uh, the very popular editions, when people actually started noticing it, there were three very popular editions, which is how we know that right when it came out, it was pretty popular um, between 1594 and 1611. There were three very popular editions that were made and um, not a whole lot of stuff I'm going to give you in the beginning before we go into the summary a lot of the notes that we're going to dive into are going to come at the end just because you have to really experience Titus Andronicus before I think really hearing anything else about it um, and it's a I'm especially excited because I know so like uh, in case you don't listen to any of the other uh, podcasts in the Allentown network of podcasts uh, they do wonderful shows like Allentown Presents. Uh, they have their um, their scary movie Saturdays. The Spooky which, Movie Squad. There it is. Yeah, with the Spooky Movie Squad. And, you know, slasher fix abound and everything is fun. And, like, that's, like, the joy of Halloween. Um, so just uh, just buckle up. Just, just buckle up. Because... <laughs> you're hearing Shakespeare and you're expecting something and what you're expecting is not what you're going to get. So without further ado, this is Shakespeare's very first tragedy he ever wrote, Titus Andronicus. This story is set in Rome. This is a Rome that we assume uh, we are pretty sure is directly following Caesar. Uh, because it is implied that these two sons that we're about to talk about right now are Caesar's sons. Uh, so the play opens with Saturninus and Bassianus, who are the emperor's sons, and the emperor is dead. That is how we begin this play. And so the two sons and a grouping of tribunes are like senators, basically, um, are out in front of like their like public political building, basically. And Saturninus is talking about how he 
is the eldest son and he should be emperor uh, now that his dad is dead, basically. And Batsianus is like, bruh, like that we should be letting the people vote. We're supposed to be like a government of the people or whatever. We should be letting the people vote on, you know, or decide who they want as their emperor. So this guy named Marcus Andronicus, uh, who is like the head of the tribunes, basically, he's like the speaker of the house, basically. And he says, so the people have chosen um, his brother, Titus Andronicus, uh, to be a candidate for emperor. They really like him they he's a war hero he's been uh uh slaying the visigoths now for 10 years or so um and he's coming home like literally right now so marcus is like okay like send your you know your fucking soldiers and stuff out of here like i know you guys are ready to like slit each other's throats to become emperor right now but let's just uh send the soldiers away let's go inside and talk like men uh, so Saturninus and Bastianus agree and they send their troops off and they go inside the building. Uh, when they go inside the building, then we get a procession of soldiers and people coming home. Our procession consists of Martius, Mutius, Lucius, and Quintus. These are four of Titus's sons. They come bearing the coffin of their of another of their brothers. Uh, so one of their brothers has died and they are bearing the coffin home. After they come in, Titus follows them. He is bringing with him prisoners. He's bringing with him five prisoners. The prisoners that he has is Tamara, queen of the Visigoths, and her three sons, Alarbus, Chiron, and Demetrius. And Aaron, who is, we are told, is a Moor. So we're assuming he is a servant, essentially, of Tamara, basically. So Titus, by the way, has in his life 25 sons and one daughter. <laughs> and out of his 25 sons, the four that just came in burying their other brother's coffin are the four remaining living sons <laughs> okay so he's I mean, lost that makes sense for one the of time. his sons that makes yeah. sense for the time because yes. infant death was sky high and you know but also this is like sex education 101 birth control <laughs> should not be the responsibility of the female but the responsibility yes. of the male in yes. our society politics guys sure. just uh get a vasectomy stop worrying it's a, it's stop making girls stop making girls take birth control get a vasectomy until you're old enough and you can reverse it at any enough. fucking time exactly until you're aware enough of your body that you're like yeah i want to be a dad now there you fucking just go get a vasectomy at 16 and when you're 30 or 35 or 40 and you decide hey i kind of want kids now then undo your vasectomy and have kids. I read a fucking statistic the other day that a man can impregnate something like 90 women a day, every day mm -hmm. for years and years and years. 
oh yeah and produce hundreds Dude, of thousands be, of children men could be fucking 100 years old on their deathbed and if someone hops on that dick and rides it and he comes he could pop out that baby into a vagina yeah. and die at 100 yeah. years old like yeah. The men a, are the people who are like yeah. calling the shots here. Yeah. In nine months, a man can produce like a hundred thousand kids, and in nine months, a woman can only produce one child or one mm-hmm. birth, I guess. I guess she could produce multiple children, but it's never more than what eight is like the most we've yeah, ever had on record at a time. And that's mm-hmm. like super duper rare. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Titus Andronicus should have got that yes. shit snipped. All right. We don't, <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't need 25 kids. Nobody needs 25 kids. Apparently, the world didn't think he needed that many sons either because they took away 21 of them and these four are all that's left. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure. Plagues and, you know, wild yeah, animals. A lot and... of his sons, a lot of his sons have, it's, it's, it's implied in the dialogue here that a lot of his sons have been soldiers with him and his other sons now that are still alive and that a lot of them have died in in battle as well God like damn. battling the how Goths old is he Rome. he's he's pretty old he's he's pretty old we'll talk about it later <laughs> okay we'll talk about it later um, okay so but these are his four remaining sons now and these are the prisoners that he has with the, him tamara who is queen of the goths uh, and these are not goths like, by the way, I should have stipulated this the first time I said the word goths. So um, when when we say goths and we're talking in like Shakespeare or in like historical terms, we're not talking about like um, the kids who wear like black eyeliner and um, like listen to the system of a down and uh, have safety pins all over their backpacks and stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not those type of goths. Uh, the Visigoths or goths were essentially... Um, like the people that become like middle slash northern Europeans, basically. So these Visigoths are actually like, they're like fair. Like Tamara uh, was probably, I mean, she's described as being very fair, um, like bright. She's like a big busted blonde, basically. So she's um, like Swedish. Yeah, kind of. Switzerland, basically. France, Germany, like yeah, mm-hmm. that part of around Europe. those eras, areas. Uh, so anyway, Tamara is queen of the Goths, the the historical Goths, uh, and she is the prisoner that Titus is bringing home along with her three sons, Alarbus, Chiron, and Demetrius, and Aaron, who is a Moor. If you don't know what a Moor is, um, this was what historical Europeans referenced. People with darker skin tones were all kind of considered the Moors. They came from a very specific region, but it just became a thing that like, if you wanted to make a reader of literature or plays know that you were talking about a black person basically or someone who was not white you would call them a more basically racism. Uh, so mm, so much racism we'll talk about that <laughs> later too but uh, <laughs> and Aaron her like her slave basically so he's got these prisoners of war Titus comes home he has 
his tomb of his ancestors opened so that his sons can lay their brother in their um, mausoleum. And they say before they can do that and then seal the tomb again, they have to sacrifice one of Tamara's sons in return for their brother's death. Um, it's implied here that this is um, like a superstitious sort of like ritual here. They're appeasing the spirits of like the, the dead. So that basically like an eye for an eye kind of thing, they'll rest easy and not like be, I don't know, angry bitches in the afterlife, I guess. So Titus is like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Take the eldest. The eldest is Alarbus. Uh, and Tamara begins begging uh, Titus not to let them, um, you know, take her son and murder her son. Uh, and he's like, yeah, sorry that I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's got to be done. Um, so the his sons take Alarbus and offstage they dismember him and burn him on a pyre. And Tamara is, of course, uh, you know, in agonized. Yeah, yeah, she fucked up. Yeah. And her sons are like, just, you know, just listen, just listen. You got to chill. You got to chill. Like, well, we're going to figure this shit out. Like, don't worry about it. Like, we're going to figure this shit out. So after they do this, uh, Lavinia shows up. Lavinia is Titus's only daughter. <laughs> out of his 26 children. So she shows up because she's um, here to welcome her brothers and her father back from the war. Uh, and as she shows up, Marcus and Saturninus and Bassianus, who went into the political building earlier, if you recall, they like come out onto the balcony of the building and they greet Titus and Marcus tells him that the people have chosen him as a candidate for emperor. And Titus is like, oh, yeah, no, hard pass, firm pass. And Marcus is like, dude, like, that's not how this works. Like, this is what the people want. And Saturninus is like, bitch, shut the fuck up. You were getting on my nerves right now. He just said he doesn't fucking want it. Like, it's fine. And Titus is like, okay, like, everyone just needs to chill out. Bassianus is basically like, hey, Titus, support. If you're not going to accept a candidacy, you should support me for Emperor of Rome. Like, I'd super appreciate it. Titus basically just ignores this completely and like turns to the people because I guess there's a crowd here now waiting to see who becomes emperor and is like, hey, you guys fucking love me, right? I guess that's why you made me a candidate. So if I put my endorsement on someone, will you guys pick that person as the emperor? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So he's like, all right. So Saturninus is the fucking eldest son. He's got to be the emperor. Like, that's just how it fucking works. Let's not, like, shake things up here. So it's decided Saturninus is officially going to be the new emperor now that Caesar's dead. Uh, and Saturninus is like, you know, thank you, my man. Uh, that was great. Uh, you know what? To pay you back for doing that for me, I'll marry your daughter, Lavinia, uh, I'll make her empress. And Titus is like, oh, fuck, like, thanks. Um, and Saturninus is like, yeah, absolutely, no fucking problem. Uh, so Titus is like, so here's all the spoils of the, you know, the war. Uh, these are the prisoners that we're bringing. And this is the first of what we get many, many asides to the audience. So an aside in an audience, basic, uh, to an audience, basically, in plays, uh, if you don't know, when it's written in a play that 
a line or a speech is spoken as an aside. What this means is that the character is speaking literally directly to the audience, basically, um, and only the audience. It's made clear via their acting, via um, that no one else like is reacting to it, basically. They make it clear that what they're saying is meant for the audience to hear only, and that no one else is hearing what this character is hearing. So it Breaking builds- Breaking the fourth wall. Yes, and it's supposed to build essentially dramatic irony so that you can know what characters are thinking or yeah. really thinking when other characters don't, basically. In all, in, all so. the, in all the Shakespeare plays that I've seen live, every time I've seen an aside happen, they shine a spotlight on the person doing the aside and they black everyone else out. As, yeah. and, they, and everyone like pauses. So like if it's like a busy... Mm-hmm like city scene or whatever, like the people will be walking by or whatever, and then they'll shut it to black and everyone will pause exactly where they were on stage, like time has stopped. And then the person will give their aside in the spotlight, then they'll switch the lights back on when the aside is over. And then the commotion behind him will continue again. Like no time has passed, basically, in the time that it took the character to give this aside to the audience. Yes. So this is the first of many asides in this play. I kid you not, I can't remember the last play of Shakespeare that I read that had this many or more asides than Titus Andronicus. Like I would have to like actually do my research on that, but I am pretty comfortable saying this is up there in one of his plays that has like the most asides in a play. He does it like throughout the entire thing. But this is the first one that we get. And it's funny because this aside is pretty silly because all it is is Saturninus going, oh, fuck, like that queen, that goth queen Tamara is pretty fucking hot, basically, is what he says. So when he's done with his aside, he's like, hey, girl, like, why are you looking so sad? And, you know, he obviously doesn't know that she just had her first son murdered. Uh, So he's like, listen, listen, you know, you're not going to be treated poorly here in Rome. We are civilized creatures. That's not how we play. Like, listen, you know, how about I hang out with you and like, we go and chit chat for a bit. Like, Lavinia, you cool if I hang with Tamara for a bit? And Lavinia's like, yeah, I don't fucking care. Um, So (laughs) they go off to like hang. They're on stage, but in the back or they go completely off stage. It's not really clear, but they like just go off to hang out, I guess. And so Isn't when she this still happens, a prisoner? yeah, mm-hmm. that's um, fucking weird. So when this happens and they go off, Bastianus springs into action. He seizes Lavinia and says Lavinia is actually betrothed to him and that he will not let Saturninus take her as his wife. And Titus is like, who? who who the fuck is like absolutely the fuck not what what is happening right now you know he's been off at the war he doesn't have any fucking idea he literally just got back so he doesn't know shit all that's happened like when he was off but this is apparently something that is pretty well known anyway I guess outside of this last excursion that he and his sons went off on, because when Bassianus does this, Titus is like, oh, hell no, you fucking don't. And is like grabbing his sword and his own sons help Bassianus escape with Lavinia. 
So three of them go with him to like make sure that they get away and Mutius holds the door basically so that Titus can't get at them and they can make sure that Bastianus and Lavinia escape. And Titus is like, move the fuck out of my way, boy. And he's like, I'm sorry, I literally can't do that. And so Titus fights and murders his own fucking son. So Lucius comes I mean, back. There's another explanation why he only has four kids left. Three kids left yeah. now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, oh, so you're not going to listen to me? Well, stab, stab. I'm a war hero. <laughs> so Lucius, his other son, one of his other sons now, one of his only remaining three now, we're done to three. <laughs> he comes back and is like, dad, what the fuck, basically? And Titus is like, bring your sister back to me. And Lucius is like, that's literally not going to happen, old man. You need to like fucking calm down. And Saturninus at this point has come back because of all the commotion. And Saturninus is basically like, no, don't fucking bother Titus. Like I'm done. I'm done with all of you Andronicae. Like you're fucking dumbass. Like you guys just fucking embarrassed the shit out of me. Insulted. You, you guys are all traitors basically. Like you just committed treason against your emperor against Rome. So don't even fucking bother. Go fuck yourself, basically. And so he turns to Tamara and is like, so I guess now I don't have a bride anymore. So do you want to be the new empress of Rome? And Tamara is like, absolutely, I do. So <laughs> they wow. go off. Yeah. What a fucking mess. So they go off to get married. As they go off to do this, they're presumably now off to go get married. Marcus and his other, uh, the rest of his bros, so the other two bros, uh, Martius and Quintus, come to Titus now, too, and are like, why are you fucking, like, why are you this crazy? Why? And Titus is like, no, don't fucking talk to me. Like, how, you guys are all traitors. Like, how could you do this to me? So they basically are just like, whatever. Okay, like, we need to bury Mutius. And at first, Titus is like, hell nah, he ain't getting buried in my, you know, ancestor's mausoleum. He's the traitor. But they all eventually persuade him to let them bury their brother um, in the mausoleum. So that happens. And then Saturninus and Tamara come back and Bastianus and Lavinia come back. And now they are both married. That is apparently what was happening off screen. Now they have both been married. So Saturninus is like, uh, bro cool thanks uh i guess you uh got what you wanted and bassianus is like yeah i guess i fucking did and saturninus is like okay well you know that's fine that's that's cool um you're you're gonna get yours it's all good bassianus is like listen i really don't care about anything to do with you but you shouldn't shun titus like he killed his son for you right now like he clearly had no idea that this was going to happen you shouldn't be holding it against this dude and tamara is like saturninus baby you should forgive titus and saturninus is like excuse the fuck me i should and tamara is like no 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 listen the people remember adore the shit out of this guy you are a new emperor you know, this is not going to look good for you. You're only you emperor like, because of him. 
you you're you're not liked enough yet. You got to pardon him right now. Let me deal with him underhandedly in my own. I'll find some way. We'll fuck them up. But you got to at least right now pardon him. Okay, he killed my son. So like, trust me, I get it. He'll get what he deserves, but we can't like do this. And Saturninus is like, you're right, you're right, all right. So he forgives Titus. And Tamara is like, all right. So Saturninus is, forgives Titus. He forgives his brother. He even forgives, you know, your Titus's sons. And so Saturninus agrees to all of this. And Titus invites Saturninus uh, in celebration of the emperor's marriage. Uh, and his own daughter's marriage, he invites the emperor to basically go on a hunting trip with them in the morning to celebrate and to like make things up to Saturninus. And Saturninus is like, yeah, okay, cool. And that's the end of act one. Act two begins with Aaron, the Moor, on stage. We learn he is speaking, he has this soliloquy, he's speaking to himself basically. And we learn in it that he's fucking Tamara, basically. Like they getting it on and after he like has his speech about how hard he fucks Tamara um Chiron and Demetrius suddenly come onto the stage and they're fighting like they're like in a fist fight basically and uh, Aaron like has to break them up and they're fighting over Lavinia because they both are hella sprung off her and Aaron is like you guys are idiots she's already married and they're like that doesn't fucking matter and he's like okay well if that doesn't matter to you then then why are you guys being idiots you both can have her then and they're like oh yeah i guess you're right okay but like that's that's cool then but like how are we gonna do that and aaron is like oh jesus uh okay so the hunt is happening tomorrow right they're gonna be out in the fucking woods there's a bunch of random places you can run off in the woods so just go and when they're out in the woods take her take her off somewhere seducer or raper or whatever you want bob's your uncle and they're like yeah fuck yeah i'm down with that so aaron is like okay let's go tell your mom these plans so that she can like set shit up for us tomorrow and we can like figure this out if this is what you guys want to do and they're like all right so they go off all of the andronikai uh now wake up the next day and sound the horns for the hunt to begin. All the couples come out. The men all go off hunting, except for Aaron, Chiron, and Demetrius. The next thing we see is Aaron on stage burying a bag of gold under a tree. And he tells the audience, this may seem really fucking weird what I'm doing right now, but basically it'll make sense later. (laughs) And Tamara then comes in to the scene after he's done this, and she's like... Boo, let's fuck, basically. And he's like, no, 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 not now, bitch. Like, we're we, we doing some shit right now. We got to keep our wits about us. So he's like, here's the note. See that the note gets where it needs to go. You know what to do, basically. This is just dialogue. This is all we're getting. And after he says this, Bastianus and Lavinia suddenly come onto the scene and see that Tamara and Aaron are here alone together. And Aaron leaves suddenly, but Bassianus and Lavinia are like, oh, okay, so you two, you guys are bumping uglies, I guess, then. Wow, okay, lol. And 
Bastianus is basically like, my bro is going to love this. And Tamara is like, how dare you accuse me of that? You haven't even seen anything. Like, fuck you, basically. And as she's yelling back at them about this, Chiron and Demetrius come. And they're like, hi, mom. Why are you so upset? And she's like, they brought me here to tie me up to this tree to leave me to die. And they accused me of adultery. Kill him. And so the sons kill Bassianus and they capture Lavinia. And Lavinia appeals to Tamara basically as a woman, like, don't let her sons rape her, you know, at least if if they're going to kill her to just kill her to not let them like rape her beforehand basically and Tamara is basically like I don't know you I, get this bitch out of my face bye basically and so the boys toss Bassianus's body into this already conveniently dug pit apparently right here next to this tree and they do that and they take Lavinia off and Tamara leaves and Aaron brings Martius and Quintus Andronicus, so two of Titus's sons, and he brings them saying he saw the, the animal that they were hunting is just over here and basically does the thing where like, you know, you trick the person to walk directly over the hole and fall into the hole type of trick, basically, and so Martius is like, where's the, where's the fucking deer? Ah! And falls into the fucking hole, basically. And he, this is the hole that, of course, has Bassianus's body in it. So Martius is like, oh, fuck. And Quintus is like, what? And Aaron slips off in the middle of this. And Martius is like, get me the fuck out of here. There's a fucking body in here. <laughs> and Quintus tries to get him up, but he can't. And he ends up falling into. So now both of them are stuck in the pit. Um, so Aaron comes back with the emperor. And he's basically like, hey, I saw some dudes in this pit, sir. I, I don't know what's going on. And Saturninus is like, who that down there? And Martius and Quintus are like, it's us you know, Titus's sons, Martius, Quintus, you remember us? Uh, yeah, Bassianus's body's down here. And Saturninus is like, uh, pardon? What? And they're like, yeah, um, your, your brother, your brother's dead. His body's down here. Uh, <laughs> and at this moment, Tamara and Titus and Lucius, his other son, his final son, uh, come suddenly onto the scene looking uh, vigorously for the emperor and Saturninus is like look look this is my fucking brother's dead body like holy shit who the fuck killed my brother and Tamara's like oh no we're too late Titus uh, and she goes to the emperor and is like look at this letter that Titus just found and so Saturninus takes this letter and he reads it out loud and basically it's this letter that is clearly implicating Martius and Quintus in Bassianus's death, basically saying that whoever has sent them this letter, that their payment for killing and burying Bassianus's body is buried under the tree next to his pit that they dug for him. And Aaron's like, oh, wouldn't you know? Look at that. The gold's right here. That just like the letter said. What? That's so strange. And Saturninus is like, cool 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 so um take these fuckers out of the cave 
uh, so we can go hang their asses right the fuck now. And Titus is basically just like, you know, on his knees, like, please at least let them have a trial. Like, I can't believe that they've done this. They have, that has to be investigated. I, there's, there has to be an explanation. And Saturninus is basically like, I literally don't want to fucking hear it. Like, go away. And they take Quintus and Martius uh, away. And Tamara turns to Titus and is like, I'm so sorry, Titus. I'll talk to him. I'll try and see what I can do. I'm so sorry. Uh, And so Titus sends Lucius away. He doesn't want Lucius to be talking to his brothers, but then he follows the royal march, basically, and follows them taking his sons off. So Chiron and Demetrius, meanwhile, we now learn, um, they've they've raped Lavinia, And they have now cut out her tongue and cut off her hands. And there's this great, cute scene where they are basically taunting her and making fun of her about how she literally can't do shit or tell anyone about what happened to her now. Uh, And then they just leave her in the woods. So after a while, her uncle, Marcus, finds her. Uh, finds her like this and is of course heartbroken he guesses what's happened but he obviously (laughs) can't get her to say who it is because she can't speak but she but she indicates to him when he like guesses basically that she's been raped uh that that's what happened so he takes her off to go find her dad and that's the end of act two (sighs) oh god okay That's a lot. Oh, you think that's a lot now. So the next act begins with Titus following the brothers as they're marching them through Rome off to the their execution, basically. And he is just having like just a huge grieving mental breakdown, basically. They're, he's pleading to let them live, you know, let them have a trial, anything. It's like really fucking sad. He like lies on the ground at one point and is just like sobbing into the dirt. Lucius comes planning to like try and save his brothers, basically, physically by force if he has to. Before anything can happen, Marcus shows up as well with Lavinia and Toe. And so Lucius and Marcus now, or Lucius and Titus now, uh, see what's happened to Lavinia. And it gets even more sad than it was before, if you can believe it. And they tell her about her brothers. uh, And she acts in a way that they mark it in dialogue that the way she acts when they tell her about her brothers killing her husband, that the way she responds is strange. Um, so Aaron, the more comes uh, into onto stage and says he has a message from Saturninus and that Saturninus has decided that if one of the remaining Andronicae chops off one of their hands for the emperor, that the emperor will spare his two sons and bring them back to Titus. And so Lucius and Titus and Marcus quarrel for a minute about like whose hand it'll be basically and Titus is insistent that it's his. So they chop off Titus's hand and give it to Aaron. And in an aside to the audience, Aaron reveals this entire thing that he just told them is a lie. He's just fucking with them. So he takes Titus's hand and takes it off stage, supposedly to Saturninus. So now Titus doesn't have one of his hands 
and they're all waiting, morning, talking. A messenger comes back and he has Titus's hand with him as well as Martius's and Quintus's heads. Yeah, so everything is just bad. <laughs> so at this point, we're down to one son and a severely um, injured daughter. And uh, he's got his two son's heads and his own chopped off hand sitting on the ground in front of him. Uh, and everything is just awful. And then Titus just uh, starts laughing. And Marcus is like, oh, Jesus Christ, what is what is happening now? And Titus is like, no, 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 it's, it's okay. I just, um, yeah, I just, every, everything's cool now because I just like get like the meaning to life. Um, the meaning of life is just bullshit. Like everything's fucked. And if everything's fucked, then I don't give a shit about Rome anymore, which means I'm going to absolutely get revenge on every single person that did this to me and my family. Uh, and his family around him are like, okay. <laughs> right. Together we make two and a half people. Like we started, yeah. this, we started this journey as a clan of 27 and yes. we're currently down to two and a half working people. So, <laughs> so, um, Essentially, he basically gathers the two heads and his hand and tells Marcus and Lavinia to go off and that he's going to follow them home. But to Lucius, he goes to Lucius and he says to his only remaining son, because his son is now in exile. So he says, Lucius, since they're going to throw you out of the city, go to the Goths, raise an army against Rome. And leaves his son and his son's like all right guess that's what i'm gonna fucking do and he leaves and that's the end of act three so it's not that it's short it's that i am like there's not a lot of action there's a lot of yeah the the actual action that happens in act three is very concise exactly but there's a lot that happens in like performance and dialogue because it's this is like the like a really heavy part of the play oh yeah because it's establishing i mean obviously like i just said like insurmountable crazy crazy absolutely awful shit just happened to titus in the course of like three minutes maybe yeah. Um, <laughs> so he has several long speeches where you can see his descent in his like grief and mourning and it yeah. turning into madness. Yeah. You know, Shakespeare and the soliloquy. Very Shakespeare. Very Shakespeare. And this is like the this is very the best of Shakespeare. Like it's just heart wrenching when you read it. Uh, you know, like when he sees Lavinia at first, he basically uh, says, you know, what can I do? Should I chop off my hands for you too? Basically, what should I do to, to make this right, essentially? And you're just like, oh, I can't, I can't even fathom seeing your child like that. Huh. Okay, act four. There's several scenes that are basically just there to kind of like 
showcase how fucked up the Andronikai household is now, basically, because they have Lucius has a son, at, like Junior. It's Lucius, Lucius's son. So Lucius the second, Junior. So Draco, I, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Just call him uh, Draco. It's fine. I'll get it. <laughs> Draco and is there. And then, of course, Titus, Marcus, and Lavinia. And that's it now. And Lavinia doesn't have any hands or a tongue. And Titus doesn't have a hand. And Draco is like four. I don't know. He's older than that. But he's like a child. My um, father will hear about this. <laughs> and so we have a bunch of scenes, basically, where... It's just to showcase just how fucking sad and strange the house is now and like how crazy Titus is kind of now that he's so fucked up by grief and shit um, that he's just lost a, a lot. He's just lost a lot and it shows basically. Yeah. But through these scenes, basically what happens is we learned that Lavinia learns how to use her arms and her feet basically uh and her mouth to guide a stick so that she can write stuff in the fucking dirt so she has no fucking hands she has no fucking tongue and this bitch still is like not i will be heard yes and writes in the fucking dirt with a goddamn stick with no hands, <laughs> who did this to her and what happened? So, Marcus, Titus, and Draco are like, "All right, we're gonna get these fucks. We, we're gonna plot. We got a plot. We're all gonna plot right now, but we're gonna get these fucks." And everyone is basically like, "Yeah, let's. We're all in. We're all in." Um. So the next scene we get. After that is uh, Junior, Draco, brings um, gifts to Chiron and Demetrius. He brings them like weapons, like swords or something uh, from Titus. And this is not really explained. I guess it's just like Titus like fronting, being like, oh, look, I can, I still totally love you guys. Like... I don't have any ill will toward you. I definitely don't know that you raped my daughter and fucked her up. Uh, here's Which literally a bunch makes of great zero weapons. sense because you're the one who captured them from Europe and brought them back to Rome. <laughs> <laughs> so he like gives them gifts, basically. Aaron is there when this happens. And after Draco leaves, a nurse comes into the room and she has a little baby. And this is a little black baby. And she says, the Empress just gave birth to this black baby. And the Empress, of course, cannot be having a black baby because the Emperor is not black. (laughs) Yeah. So the Empress is like, so the nurse says that Tamara ordered them to kill the baby. And there's this great great fucking scene where apparently Chiron and Demetrius are just the the most not aware people on the planet because apparently the fact that Aaron and their mom were fucking is news to them and now there's a baby that popped out of their mom's vagina that is clearly Aaron's 
and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and Aaron is like, yeah, what about it? Basically. Right. Like we've been together for years. Y'all are dumb. And, and they're like, there is this line. And I, I kid you not when I say like, the people who say they don't like Shakespeare, it's because they have not read it or been taught it by someone they were supposed to have that actually knows what they're doing. Because Shakespeare is one of the funniest, grossest ass motherfuckers out there. He drops the worst, awfulest, hilarious jokes about sex all the time, in particular dicks. He loves a good dick joke. But he has, in my opinion, the best Shakespearean line that's ever been written in this scene. Because one of the sons, I can't remember, Chiron or Demetrius says, you've undone our mother. And he goes, no villain, I have done thy mother. <laughs> and I'm just nice. like, oh, Jesus. Wow, Shakespeare, can we, can we pause? Can we just like tone it down so basically the nurse is like you gotta kill the baby and Aaron's like yeah no you're not touching my son basically and they're like you can we can't let this baby live like they'll murder us all like she will be done for and Aaron's like sit the fuck down all you dumb asses let's talk basically and he turns to the nurse and says who saw the baby so the nurse says Oh, her and the empress, basically. And that's it. Aaron's like, great. And then kills the nurse. <laughs> and then he turns to the boys and tells Chiron and Demetrius that he serendipitously has a friend who literally just had a baby and it's a white ass baby. So go to his friend, pay the parents for that baby and bring that baby back here. Ta-da. Saturninus has an heir. Tamara ain't a hoe. Everything's fine. And Chiron and Demetrius are like, okay, dude. Uh, and Aaron's like, great. Now go bury this fucking body and do what I said. And they're like, all right. They take the nurse's body. They go off to do what Aaron said. And Aaron is like, now I'm going to make my exit and take my son. And I think I'm going to go and pay a visit to the goths because this is Tamara's son. They'll probably treat him right. So he leaves. Except he's black. So probably not. Come on, Aaron. Listen, the this inconsistency is definitely there. It's also definitely not the first inconsistency. And at this yeah. point, <laughs> there's just yeah. so many inconsistencies in this story yeah, that you have like, to just say, okay. Right. Sure. Did the goss treat you? <laughs> Did the goss treat you right, Mr. Moore? Did they sounds sounds good. Because <laughs> uh sounds to me like you were a slave <laughs> i don't think they're gonna take kindly to your son even if it is their ex-queen's son it is their ex-queen and Who's a former now slave the empress of rome who basically betrayed her own people yeah and a former you know slave like this kid is not gonna be welcomed with open arms in but you know what dream big aaron dream big um yeah <laughs> He, he had it together until that point and then At that point, are, exactly. this is where the mistakes were made suddenly suddenly fatherhood has uh blinded yeah. him just a little bit he's he's uh, a single dad trying to raise a kid on his own he's making mistakes 
yeah, he's he's doing his best. He's doing his best. Damn it. Um. So meanwhile, Titus, remember he's gone insane at this point. Uh. So he now has a bunch of his kinsmen, like his nephews, Marcus's sons, I guess now. Uh. And Marcus. Ooh, did Marcus and- also have twenty five kids? I don't know how many there were, but he's definitely got two because two of them have names here and he ref- Titus also, refers to them as nephews. So what happened to he all has the a ladies? brother. What happened to all the ladies that Titus boned? Because clearly these 25 kids were not all coming from one lady. Like, yeah, I have no fucking idea where like Mama Andronicus is. Like, there's no fucking moms plural to- Andronicus. <laughs> yes, yeah, I have no idea. It's not referenced whatsoever in the entire story. Of course not, because women don't um, matter. Yeah. So that was sarcasm, guys. Sorry if you can't pick <laughs> up on that via a podcast. Weren't, weren't, um, <laughs> the 1500s were hell of a sarcasm, time. If you cannot pick up on sarcasm, I don't particularly know what you're doing here, but this is <laughs> I probably guess the you're wrong welcome. podcast. <laughs> Everyone is welcome. I'm don't not take, saying you're not welcome. Take, don't take too much of what we say seriously because there's a lot of sarcasm here. You're, if, you're, if you are not well-versed in sarcasm, you will be by the end of this podcast. Um, That's true. <laughs> you want to get better at it? Listen to us. So he's got a bunch of his kinsmen now shooting arrows into the sky, etc., with letters tied around them that he's written to different gods asking... <laughs> for their help to avenge his family and all of the dudes are like talking around him basically talking to each other about how the the fact that we know that this is crazy and titus is crazy but it's relatively harmless so they're all doing it anyway for him so they're shooting they shoot the arrows off into the sky and you know titus is just so happy about it and right after they shoot these arrows a clown walks by and Titus is like, ah, the, the message has worked. This clown is obviously a messenger from heaven. Um, he's definitely not. He's like a random ass clown who's got like two pigeons for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but <laughs> he. What did clowns look like in Roman times? Like I'm trying um... like because I can think of like in Shakespeare's time, it would have been like more like a jester, like not necessarily yeah. like a modern clown like we have today. I'm trying to figure out what a it probably would have been like a jester. It probably okay. would have been like kind of like a jester because I, f- I from what I remember, the clowns from back then and what a court jester would be basically were pretty similar in what they did. Okay, like their purposes in society. So okay, it's cause... probably like a like a little jester walking around with his like dingleberry okay. hat or whatever. Because you said clown, and my immediate thought, because <laughs> all I do is watch horror movies, is it. think about it and Pennywise, and I'm like, well, that can't be right. That wouldn't have been around, <laughs> and it wouldn't have looked like that. There wouldn't have been, you know, like face. There wouldn't have been someone in face paint and like a big red <laughs> nose or whatever. Like that's not a thing. To be perfectly honest, Pennywise isn't that out of place later, but we'll get there. As of right now, this is just some random poor sad clown walking around with two pigeons. Um, oh, fuck. <laughs> and Titus Rome was, was like... Rome was wild, y'all. <laughs> fucking wilden. Uh, wilden. 
Um, so Titus is like, come here, messenger from heaven. Where are you going? And the clown is like, I'm going to go to the emperor. And it's not really clear why he's going to the emperor, like for entertainment purposes, I'm assuming, but it's not clear. Um, but he's like, I'm obviously going to the emperor. And Titus is like, oh, fucking course you are. Hold on. Hold on. Here's some money. I'm going to give you this letter. Take this letter to the emperor. Are you cool with that? And the clown's like, okay, yeah, fine. I don't fucking care. Sure. So he goes off. Uh, then we see Saturninus and Tamara and uh, everyone else, basically, who are hanging out with them. They are out and about, I guess, like in the streets or it's either that or they're they're having like guards or whatnot bring these to them. But they found the letters that Titus has like shot out because, of course, they haven't gone to the gods they just shot arrows into oblivion and the arrows came down somewhere still in Rome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so people are like finding these letters and bring them to Saturninus. And uh, they're just like sitting there reading the letters, making fun of Titus basically. And the clown visits and the clown gives Saturninus the letter and Saturninus reads this letter and we don't get to know what's in the letter, which I personally find very fucking offensive because it apparently is so great that Saturn Saturninus is so fucking pissed after he reads it that he has the clown hanged just for bringing it to him. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Saturninus is like, I, I'm literally going to go and stab Titus Andronicus in the throat right now. <laughs> like, I'm so mad about this, basically. But before he can do that, this dude named Emilius, he's like maybe a commander or something, or like, it just says that he's a noble Roman in the description of his character, but it seems like he's like speaking or like he has some sort of higher ranking role because he has like negotiating powers going on for the rest of this story. Um, so Emilius comes in and he's like uh what's up emperor so the goths are here to fuck up rome and saturninus is like i'm sorry what and he's like yeah and lucius is their commander and saturninus is like oh, for fuck's sake and tamara is like okay okay don't worry i'll go to titus i'll convince him to reason with his son right i'll do that Okay, so they send Emilius off to make a meeting with Lucius at Titus's house. And Tamara goes off to talk to Titus. And this is the end of Act Four. Okay. So now I have we're questions. Yes. Like this bitch <laughs> gave birth to a baby and then, like, minutes later was walking about town, like, picking up letters. Just. What there's the no indication there's no indication about the time span of all of this like at all well except for the fact that the first day when all of act one happened that all happened in one day <laughs> yeah okay but like the next the guy hasn't come back with the baby did he the white baby oh the son's probably they... they have at this point oh, okay and i was like they i haven't... say probably because of what we what'll happen in a second okay so we just assume that that happened and it's not yeah like... 
we assume Tamara Plot has not been put to death, basically. So we assume that they've they fooled everyone and well, see, that she hasn't gotten in trouble too, for this is too confusing. Like, why not just say the baby died in childbirth? Uh, hey, look, who knows? Hey, look, you covered your whole ass because you know what happened a lot back in the old days? Babies probably because they dying probably because childbirth. the emperor would have wanted to see the body, I'd assume, maybe. Oh, well, that's easy. Find a fucking stillborn calf. Men don't know. Men don't know. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I just watched a TikTok about this mom who like had a fake, like one of those like um like education class babies. Yeah. And she was like, I'm gonna give my husband a fake baby today to see if he recognizes while he's playing his video game was the thing. Mm-hmm. So he's like into his video game and she goes, Hey, hold your son for a second. And he goes, all right. And he holds the baby and he like, just keeps playing and he plays for like 10 minutes and he's just holding this fake ass baby. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, is he still good? And he goes, yeah, yeah, she's good. And she, she's like, are you sure? Look at your son. And he looks down and he realizes that it's not his son. And he just looks up and he goes, oh, fuck fuck me basically like <laughs> it was hilarious like how good of a sport he was about it because he wasn't like upset or anything he just looked up like oh fuck god damn it that's hilarious <laughs> yeah sorry you just reminded me of that no i'm just um, some of the plot here is like questionable maybe maybe it's just because i'm well versed in movies and entertainment like shit like this happens a lot in movies and entertainment but like you could have easily, rather than going and paying someone off to borrow or to kidnap, to take their baby, <laughs> baby and claim it as your own, like, you could have just said the baby died in childbirth, like, in childbirth, there were complications, and the nurse I was going like to end up dying anyways, like, they killed the nurse, so there's yeah. your excuse. Just say the nurse ran off with the baby, because they can't explain where the fuck the nurse went, like, done there we go why the fuck are you like <laughs> i don't know hey they royals make made. this so complex <laughs> for no yes. goddamn reason uh just a reminder again this was literally shakespeare's first tragedy and it shows basically <laughs> is basically yeah. the moral of the story yeah um <laughs> excuse me sorry so now we get a pivot we're suddenly with the goths and with lucius and the goths have found aaron and aaron's baby and so lucius when they bring aaron and the baby to him because of course like we all predicted the goths don't give a shit about aaron or this baby yeah (laughs) and so lucius recognizes aaron instantly and is like, oh, it's fucking you. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. So uh, hang these motherfucker. And Aaron is like, don't hang the baby. Uh, and <laughs> Lucius is like, I'm going to hang the baby right in front of your face, <laughs> basically. And Aaron's like, don't kill the baby because I got some fucking stories to tell. And so Lucius is like, okay all right i'm fucking listening and he's like no i ain't gonna say shit unless you swear that you're not killing my baby and lucius is like why don't you tell me what the fuck you have and i'll consider not killing your baby and 
it doesn't work. Aaron makes him swear basically by like his own faith, essentially not to kill the yeah. baby if Aaron tells him. So Lucius, because Lucius is a good dude, is like, all right, fine. So Aaron tells him everything. All of the shit, who's behind all of it, everything that went on. So Lucius is like, all right, okay, well, bring him down. We're not killing him. We're not killing the kid. Uh, and at this time, Emilius comes to tell Lucius of the offer from Saturninus and, you know, wanting to meet at Titus's house, and Lucius agrees. Now, the next thing we see is Tamara, Chiron, and Demetrius. So they're back. So we assume that they got the white baby. They brought it back and it worked at this point because now they're here again with their mom. Tamara, Chiron, and Demetrius. They are dressed up um, in disguise, quote unquote. They are dressed angry, weird looking, all in black and dramatic looking, essentially. And they knock on Titus's door. And Titus is like, who the fuck disturbs me? I'm an old crazy man. And Tamara's like, come down here. I got to talk to you. And Titus is like, Tamara, go fuck yourself. I'm not coming out. And Tamara's like, no, no, this isn't Tamara. My name is Revenge. And this is rape and murder. My two compatriots. We're here to help you, Titus. Didn't you call out to us? Didn't you want us to come and help you? And Titus is like, what? Uh, I mean, you look hella like Tamara and her kids, but like, wow, okay, I guess you're not. Hold on, I'm fucking coming to let you in. So he comes down. He's like, what's up? And they are like, we're here for you, Titus. Tell us what you need us to do we're here to help you and he's like go kill the empress and her sons <laughs> basically <laughs> and they're like sure sure yeah absolutely super doable so here we go send someone to get your son lucius to meet with you and the emperor here at your house the empress and her sons are going to be here they'll will help you get revenge they'll be here in your space bada bing bada boom and he's like you're so right that's perfect amazing so he gets marcus and he's like marcus go get lucius and marcus is like all right i guess i'm going to go get lucius Tamara's like all right cool so we'll see you tonight we're gonna go now uh we got some other shit to do but we'll be back titus is like no 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 leave rape and murder with me please because i got some more shit they need to do and Tamara kind of goes off to the side with Kyron and demetrius is like are you guys cool staying here because I got to obviously go to get Saturninus. Like, I have to leave. And they're like, yeah, yeah, mom, we're cool. So she leaves. And so Titus is like, all right, boys, come on in. Come here. Uh, and so they come in. They're like, all right, what, what do you need us to do, my man? And he's like, uh, hey, uh, nephew, come in here. Tie these idiots up. Make sure they're gagged. <laughs> and the boys are like, what the fuck? And Titus is like, oh, oh, that's so cute. You guys thought that I like really bought your bullshit. You, you really thought that. Yeah, 
I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I'm nuts, but I ain't that fucking nuts. Like, come on now. (laughs) And he's like, anyway, surprise bitches. And he brings Lavinia out and is like, Lavinia, please hold these bowls so that you can capture the blood of the two assholes that raped you. And he slits their throats. And uh, I would have cast the next scene we get. (laughs) So the next scene we get, everyone comes to the house. We're all sitting down for dinner. Titus comes out with Lavinia and they are acting like they've like they're they're here serving the guests, um, almost like chefs, basically. And they're eating the food and Titus is like everyone enjoys it I hope everyone enjoys it and talking to the emperor and Saturninus is like you're acting kind of fucking weird but whatever and Titus asks Saturninus about this um story uh it's like a Roman story it's like a myth essentially that uh the story basically is all about how um a father has a daughter who gets raped um before she's I mean she she gets raped before she's been married basically um and so in that story the father murders his daughter and he asks Saturninus hey that's a great story right do you think in that story that the father was right to do that and Saturninus is like yeah obviously um you know she brings shame on the family because of that you know, it's it's a tragedy, but that's, of course, what had to happen. That's why he does it. Titus is like, all right, cool. He turns and he kills Lavinia. And Saturninus is like, what the fuck is, why are you a psychopath? And Titus is like, bro, you just, t- do you, I'm just doing what you just told me to do. It's the same thing that what happened to Lavinia is what happened in that story. And Saturninus is like, what what the fuck are you talking about what happened to her and he's like that's what happened to my daughter and he's like who the fuck did that to her i'll punish them right now titus you don't kill your daughter tell me and titus is like oh oh you're you're gonna punish them great awesome it was chiron and demetrius yeah your wife's kids that's who did it and tamara is of course like how dare you, blah, blah, blah. And Saturninus is like, well, you know what? No, bring them here. That they, They'll answer for this. If this is true, they'll answer for this. And Titus is like, oh, no, no dude, dude, no. That's, um, yeah, listen, they're already here. They've been here this whole time. Uh, you just ate them. Yeah, they're in the meat pies that y'all just ate. And nice. then he murders took Tamara. A, took a Sweeney Todd turn. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he murders Tamara. Titus And does? so Saturninus, yeah. Okay. And so Saturninus at this point is just survival mode. Who even knows? But he murders Titus. And Lucius murders Saturninus. There's this huge ass fight, basically. Adult uh, Lucius or baby Lucius? adult lucius yes okay. because remember adult lucius came here to meet to yeah 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 you know, for the goths and stuff so 
of course, this fight ensues. In the fight, Titus kills Tamara, Saturninus murders Titus, but Lucius murders Saturninus and wins. Okay, so <laughs> now that this is over, Amelius is like, okay, so what the actual fuck do we do now? <laughs> because how do we know what's true, what's not true? I don't even know how to begin to dissect what just happened. And Lucius is like, no, no, um, I, it's fine. I have Aaron, the more. He'll attest to all of this. Uh, and they bring Aaron out and Aaron's like, yeah, I attest to it. Uh, and they killed Bassianus too, by the way. And so everyone's like, well, fuck. Okay. Uh, so who's emperor now? <laughs> and basically Rome is like, Lucius for emperor. And everyone in the room is like, everyone agree? And everyone's like, absolutely. Yes. Sign me the fuck up. Uh, so <laughs> Lucius is like, okay, I guess I'm emperor now. So first uh, he has his son, Lucius first has his son, and uh, Marcus, his uh, uncle, bury his father and his sister <laughs> uh, in their family tomb. Wait, how did they... Titus die? Saturninus murdered him. Oh, and then Lucius killed Saturninus? Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. I like missed that chunk. I was like, I heard yeah, Saturninus it's... die, but I like missed. Okay. Yeah. Tit- the, the sequence of events in this big kerfuffle is Titus murders Tamara. Then Saturninus murders Titus. Then Lucius murders Saturninus. <laughs> Got it. Uh, so they bury uh, their dead. Aaron is sentenced to be buried chest deep in the earth to be left there to die. Basically. Why? So that he dies a horrible, slow, agonizing death. So th- they, bury, they bury you. Aaron for all the shit that he pulled but all he did was have sex with the queen like no see I mean he was a direct he was directly within all the plot to murder Bassianus see I wouldn't I would have left all of that out when I was like oh yeah this shit happened no I would have left all that part out he he literally Aaron tells him literally everything he he's literally like oh yeah I'm a fucking evil son of a bitch Got it. Okay. I love it. I love it. I, I do evil for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, basically. Um, essentially is what Aaron does. So he is sentenced to bury to be buried chest deep in the earth uh, to starve to death. And Tamara, since she's already dead and they can't kill her, uh, Lucius sentences uh, her to have her body be left outside with no burial for the animals to ravage. And that is the fucking end of Titus Andronicus. Well, damn. So, yeah, the fact that Shakespeare, for his first tragedy, was just like, you know what? I'm just going to swing for the fences. <laughs> go big or go home, right? Yeah. I'm going to write the first slasher film that has ever been thought of for, for the stage. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's a huge slasher fic. Like, yeah, we cutting everybody out here every like there's so much death that happens and violence on the stage in this play insane um so 
So Titus's four sons and his daughter and Titus and yes. oh, I can't remember his name. The guy with a B, Bassanales, Bacchanales, oh, Bassianus, Bassianus. There you go. And the king and the hoe from Europe and her two kids. <laughs> yes. And and the nurse and yes. the slave and. Yes. I'm at 13. Yes. I think I hit 13. Technically, the, the, technically, one of his other sons is the very first because they bring him on as a body to be buried in the beginning. 14. Did Marcus die? No. No, Marcus lived. Did Marcus's son live? Sons? Yeah, all his sons. Mark? Yeah, all his sons, we, we assume, live. Like, they're not mentioned as dying. Like they're not mentioned significantly as in by name or anything in terms okay. of dying. So that would probably be left up to like the director if they wanted to like have specific other characters die or whatnot. Okay. And then her, the queen's other son that died at the very beginning. Yes. That's Larbus. 15 deaths mm -hmm. that's more than a than an average slasher film let me tell you as someone who watches a lot of slasher films your typical death rate in a slasher film is like six to ten people max they don't mm -hmm. go more than that because there's not a need to unless okay there is a scene in what is what movie is that freddy versus jason mm. where jason pops up at a <laughs> party out in a cornfield like these high schoolers are throwing this big party at this like leveled part of a cornfield they've got like of their cars are. are the lights and they've got like music and there's like a keg everyone's getting drunk and then right. jason shows up and he just slaughters like 20 kids because they're all clumped together in a big party but that is the exception to the rule for yeah. slasher films because typically it's like one girl or boy and their small group of friends that are having a party or a sleepover or whatever and they all end up dying it's never 15 fucking people yeah <laughs> uh yeah and shakespeare was like uh you know be gay do crimes and i'm gonna do a crime against the stage and make a B movie slasher fic uh, as my first tragedy ever. And so obviously this is not one of Shakespeare's well-known plays because even though it was apparently very popular within the first like decade or so after he initially wrote it, it was obviously not very popular for a long time because everyone was like, this is a really fucking shitty, like shitty this is play. Dark. <laughs> this is dark. Shit is dark. There's a shit ton of plot holes in it. That it about fifty percent of it makes sense. <laughs> like it reads nothing like the rest of Shakespeare. There's some bits and pieces where you see, oh, there's Shakespeare, but overall, it yeah. doesn't feel anything like Shakespeare. So everyone for a long time was like, please bury Titus Andronicus and never speak of it again because we all hate it so much, essentially. Um, like T.S. Eliot in 1927 famously, famously said, 
It is, quote, one of the stupid and most stupidest and most uninspired plays ever written, a play in which it is incredible that Shakespeare had any hand at all, a play in which the best passages would be too highly honored by a signature from the lowliest of the co-authors that Shakespeare I mean, with. Yeah. yeah. There is a lot of speculation <laughs> as to how much of Shakespeare's stuff was actually written by yes. William Shakespeare. Um, he is questioned to be a huge plagiarizer. So mm-hmm. there could be a very good reason why this doesn't sound anything like Shakespeare. Yes, uh. that was that was a lot of the like talk the basically the majorest talk of Titus Andronicus for several centuries was all about how nobody wanted to accept that Shakespeare wrote it because it's that bad. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone was just talking about like why it was clearly someone else and who it could possibly be, etc. However, the 20th century, as it as it famously does, brought this shit show back to life and decided that it appreciated Titus Andronicus a lot more than previous uh, centuries. And they were like, no, you know what? There's some there's some shit in here that is like, I can feel this. I can see what yeah. Shakespeare may have been trying to do. Yeah. Uh, and for one thing, there is a lot, a lot of classical reference in this play. Uh, Shakespeare is references classics all the time. It's like a huge trope. So to try and argue that it is potentially written by someone else entirely merely because of how badly it's written doesn't hold a whole lot of water because there are lots of pretty normal Shakespearean stuff in it too. I mean, there are some of the monologues by Titus when he's mourning that are just gut-wrenching and the entire play is riddled with Ovid um, references and Greek and Roman mythology references and just left and right a bunch of classical references Um, so essentially in the in the 20th century people started saying like you know what maybe we've been trying this wrong Maybe, maybe we're supposed to take this as satire somehow, or like a parody. And if this is a parody of some of the other shit that was going on in this day and age, because there were other playwrights happening when Shakespeare was alive, like spoiler alert, I know people don't talk about them a lot, but they existed and they like wrote shit. Um, If this is a parody of some of those people, then it's actually quite fucking brilliant what he did here because it's a spot on parody. And when people say this, they say things like the Spanish tragedy, uh, Marlowe's The Jew of Malta. Um, there's this thing called the, the tragedy of blood, basically. And that was what was that was a very popular thing that was happening right around that time when Shakespeare came out with Titus Andronicus. The, the Spanish tragedy and the Jew of Malta, I think both what I just said, were right around that same time. And 
these were all in the same vein of like very tragic, but even past tragic, very dark and very bloody, very grotesque, just insane amounts of angry, evil people doing violent, angry shit to each other Mm -hmm. for stupid reasons. And that was like hugely popular back then. So in fact, uh, Mel Brooks himself uh, said that the uneven reactions that the audiences have um, are probably people misunderstanding that intent by Shakespeare because to Mel Brooks, he really is like, to me, he's pretty much like just mocking Marlowe, like mocking all of those like blood tragedies that were happening back then. Here are some fun facts about Titus Andronicus to send us off (laughs) of this fun, amazing slasher fic uh, before I uh, lead us into Katie's parts. So of course, like other Shakespeare, even if it is one that is not very popular, it has been done a bunch of times. It has a bunch of adaptations. Um, In particular, ones that I wanted to mention uh, just purely for Katie's reaction to them is uh, it was once done uh, on a double bill with the two gentlemen of Verona where Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart played Titus. That doesn't surprise me. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. And he has Um, done a lot of stage work. Like it's, when you look at Sir Patrick Stewart's like IMDb and the amount of films that he's been in and how off like how close together all the films that he's he's done has been, it is incredible that he has had any time to do stage plays. And then when you get a chance to like go and look at his like just stage play like yeah. um resume it's fucking insane both him and sir ian mckellen have done mm-hmm. so much i was much just about to say sir work. ian they have done so in much fact, stage work it's incredible in fact sir ian is in he once starred in um another of shakespeare's one of his lesser known ones though the one with the gay king richard the second I think Sir Ian was like the gay king in that. I mean, he was hella he, young. He is a gay king. So he it is makes a sense. gay king. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, off topic. But Sir Patrick Stewart uh, titled, uh, got the title role there. I'm sure that was incredible. I'd love to find a of, recording of that. Oh, yeah. So speaking of recordings, here's one that you would probably enjoy just as much as I did when I watched it. In 1999, Julie Taymor made a film adaptation of this, directed it, starring Anthony Hopkins as Titus, Jessica Lange as Tamara. Ooh, Ooh, I love Jessica Lange. Matthew Reese and Jonathan Reese Myers as Chiron and Demetrius. Interesting. And Alan Cumming as Saturninus. Ooh, he'd be a good crazy king. I like He's that. Great. He's incredible. Great. I love him. It's it's a great fucking film. Not great because it's a quote unquote good film by like standards of what is or is not good. 
great purely because of the cast and how ridiculous some of it is. Yeah. And it's just all around fun. If you enjoy the aspects of Titus Andronicus that are ridiculous and you enjoy Shakespeare and you enjoy those actors, it's a must watch because it's I'll just have to so it. fun. Because, I mean, Anthony Hopkins, you know, if we were talking about Sweeney Todd earlier, uh, Anthony Hopkins playing it makes it a fucking Hannibal Lecter Sweeney Todd. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, no, he's incredible. Great. He plays, it, like, Anthony Hopkins has the ability to play, like, sane to insane characters like those characters that seem completely normal for a while and then flip a switch and they're immediately just absolutely nutso. Anthony Hopkins has the, he's the best person at doing that. Mm-hmm. I would argue in all of cinema, like he does such a good job at going from just, I'm normal. I'm just a dude to hold the fucking I will phone. Eat your brain while you're still alive. I'm, yeah. I'm cranking it up to 11. I'm fucking nuts. <laughs> like, yes. Like he is so good at that, so it makes uh, him as Titus Andronicus makes complete sense. Yeah, it's a it's a great watch. It's the movie adaptation that my professor um, showed up to us uh, after we read it in class, uh, and it was just a a wonderful fun romp all around. Uh, and Julie Taymor, the director, said, which I thought was a great quote um, that you know, despite all of its faults, I, she thinks really kind of that the biggest fault of it was that it was not put out in the time period that it was supposed to be for. Because she really feels that it's, it's, a, it's a play and a story that resonates much more with our societies today than it would have back then. Uh, quote, it feels like a story for today. It reeks of the now. Yeah, I was actually thinking while you were reading it that someone, or while you were talking about it, that someone should create or make a screenplay slash produce a movie of this much in the vein of like 10 Things I Hate About You, where mm-hmm. it's it's a modern retelling of a Shakespeare story yeah, you know they changed the names so they're not all these complex like names that don't that sound out of place. They've changed right. the setting of the story so it's not back in ancient Rome. It's you know modern no. day you know 20, 2020, 20 whatever right. modern day present time, and this story would f- make such a great movie right now. Like oh yeah. I mean, the kings and queens aspect of it is a little difficult because we don't really have yeah. ma- very many monarchs. Um, but you know what? Um, one of the themes, though, of Titus Andronicus is that that whole idea of like political fragility and yeah. how political control um, outwardly can seem so, you know, boring to seamless, you know, to not really a lot going on under the surface. Whereas when you actually pay attention, the, the, the very fragile nature of the governing institutions of our entire society is just truly, it's, it's like, um, it, it's almost like this, 
this intense like farce or um farce yeah. isn't the right word like a like uh the wool has been pulled over the society's eyes with yeah. how how uh you know seamless or not bloody or not petty somehow these types of issues can be and yeah. this this takes place after a huge very successful roman emperor is now dead who's going to control rome now yeah. and everything is in chaos because of that this would be a really cool to be like i mean i don't think it would play well if they went as far as like a presidency like naming a president because presidencies don't work that way like it's never like oh yeah now my son's taking over or whatever right but if they took it to like a mayorship yeah like a town and the mayor has just passed away and they're trying to figure out who's run who's gonna be the next mayor right see and here's where it gets tricky because in my mind the only way to make it work with how it's set up in the play like how it's who's gonna be it well i'm the oldest son i should be it it's got to be like a small ass town right because Mm -hmm. small ass town the governing of small towns in america differs very very widely and it's not necessarily all like okay you get a vote it's like oh well everybody likes this guy how about him sure why not but at the same time to get the rest of the story involved you need it to be like a bigger city like new york where you know it's like one it city against another good, city right i think it would be a good um like maybe a state thing so maybe like a like a like a state senator oh like a governorship or a, yeah a senator? Yeah. yeah yeah because then state versus state makes a hell of a lot more sense when a Lucius character is suddenly excommunicated and now rises up in the political ranks in the next state over or whatever. Yeah. You know, or a red versus no. blue state. You that know? would be really good. Sam, this is your next writing assignment. <laughs> it, it's funny. And it, it was funny that you, that you mentioned doing this because so when I did Shakespeare, it was in my senior year. Um, so I did a bunch of my like senior projects to pass mm-hmm. my classes. Um, and for my Shakespeare senior project, uh, I almost did because I did I did creative retellings um, and slash adaptations of works as my projects as my senior projects. And so for my Shakespeare class, I had to do a Shakespeare one. I almost did Titus Andronicus. I wanted to. I really, really wanted to. The literal only reason that I chose not to do it in the end was because for what I wanted to do with it and like the like amount of shit and like wanting to do it right, I wouldn't have been able to finish it by the end of the semester. And yeah. I knew it. So I was like, fuck, I got to table it. I got to table it for some other day. Yeah. Uh, and I had to pick something else. But yeah, I was a hair's breadth away from choosing it as doing my senior project on because I love this play. And yeah. I, I love it for all the reasons that everyone hated it for so long. For the same yeah. reason, I think that people love watching absolutely awful slasher fix, you know, yeah. like, the reason that Otis enjoys so much, uh, you know, crazy shit like 
trick or treat or whatever. <gasps> okay, no. Speaking trick or treat of- is fantastic. How dare you? <laughs> uh, speaking of the fucking shit that you guys do, so I I forgot to say this last week when we did this. One thing that I feel like we should use in this podcast to like unite Allentown Presents Network shows. This totally works here for us. Why don't we do seven word synopsis synopses? Sounds good to me. Can you? Here's the problem, though. Can you <laughs> bring down an entire Shakespeare play into seven words? This I shit show of a play. Can you bring it down to seven words? Listen, I can. I can definitely give it my best effort. <laughs> um fuck okay rome needs a ruler let's all die (laughs) damn it (laughs) shit yep uh or or titus andronicus has a really bad day (laughs) yeah titus andronicus and the no good really bad day what this is tie it into more literature that wonderful book moral of the story get a vasectomy (laughs) yeah telling you that just pulled out right now okay i got mine 26 kids is too many damn kids yes yes amazing that's too many also where are all the women in Rome? Yes, thank you. Where are they? Because, like, as you were going on with this story, I was thinking, like, I don't know why, but I was thinking a lot about the story of Egypt in the Bible where the king was like, get rid of all the, all the sons. Yeah. And I was like, did Rome just have that same deal, but like with all the daughters? Because there are no fucking women in this story. They're like, there's, fuck all the women. There's two girls in this story and entire yep. armies worth of dudes. Like, what the fuck? Nope. Nurse. There's a nurse. There's three women oh, in. Three the women. Excuse me. To Titus Andronicus's 25 boys. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But. But anyways, I would love a modern adaption of this story. Modern names and modern places. Um, for like it wasn't so bad listening to you talk about it because the way that you described the characters made it doable. But when I right. read a lot of stuff, like a lot of Shakespeare or a lot of things specifically oh, yeah. about like Rome or Greece, the names are so similar because they all end with like Eus right or us mm-hmm. and Marcus, i get all caius plubius Dratus. Yes, I, I get all the characters like confused like i don't know who's doing what because all the fucking characters have the same goddamn name basically in mm-hmm. my head and i can't mm-hmm. like i can't separate them so having you explain it was really nice and getting a modern adaption where the characters don't necessarily all have you know it's not Tammy they can and have Pam- some modernized yeah. ass names. Yeah. Tammy and and Cammy and Pammy and Sammy. Like I don't need fucking. I don't need that. <laughs> Nobody needs that. I need characters who are definitively different people. Like right. 
yeah, I would love it if you wrote um, oh, a man. modern version of this story because it's really fucking good. But more so than you just writing it, I'd love it if you wrote a screenplay and like we could make this actually happen because that would be dope. I'd watch the shit out of this, especially if it was like governors just like fucking fighting other governors and like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the slave aspect of it is a little much that is literally one of the worst parts we could literally talk for hours about how fucking racist this fucking uh and it's like it's on the one hand unfortunately it's unavoidable because everything that was happening in this day and age was hella racist because everyone was hella racist back then uh so like on the one hand you know we can acknowledge it and we don't always have to talk about it but this story in particular like there are some stories that highlight how racist this shit is more than other stories and like if you had to talk about taming of the shrew versus talking about titus andronicus taming of the shrew misogynistic probably racist probably not a lot of racism in there in this one misogynistic i don't know if we have enough women to refer to it as misogynistic but a thousand percent it's fucking racist as fuck like the the black dude literally is characterized as the epitome of the like i'm an evil person i popped out of the womb basically as the devil's son and i just love being an evil piece of shit there's literally when Aaron is like confessing everything to Lucius, he just opens up and Lucius is like, so you just don't fucking care about like you have no remorse. You don't give a shit about any of this. And there's several speeches where Aaron is like, how many times do I have to tell you this? No, I'm evil. I love evil. If I could murder everyone in the universe right now, I probably would like he's the worst racist caricature of like it's the black guy the black guy is evil it's so bad um yeah yeah. you'd have to take some of that out well you have to take most of that out to fit into a modern retelling if you did it uh as a period piece back go back into one of your favorite periods around the time of uh what was that other one we talked about not sense and sensibility fuck oh pride and prejudice pride and prejudice there you go you could do it in around that time but in america where racism was just fucking rampant and everyone and a mixed race like relationship would have been super frowned on just like and a a woman of high regard becoming pregnant with a essentially a slave's baby would have been just unheard of or absolutely horrible in their eyes like that would be really interesting too the thing that bothers me about Aaron is that half of his story didn't need to be as evil and racist as it was because if all of all it was is like you said when you were like oh why did they sentence Aaron to die at the end because you didn't realize that he had confessed to doing all of his other stuff if you're right if all he had done was just the fact that he was Tamara's slave and she just so happened to be fucking banging him like 
that wouldn't we today would look at that and be like okay like that who the fuck cares like she was banging the dude that she likes obviously she fucking loves him but they had to characterize them all as evil and so like with Tamara and Kyron and Demetrius obviously they are all evil in different ways but with Aaron he doesn't actually have a like motivation to be evil so at least with the goths they have been fighting against rome and they get captured by titus andronicus and he doesn't show them mercy and murders their brother and her eldest son almost directly in front of her while she's pleading for his life they have a reason to like hate the shit out of the Andronicae. <laughs> yeah. But Aaron doesn't have a horse in that race. Yeah. And he very easily could have just been doing what Tamara told him to do. Yeah. Instead, it was a obvious deliberate choice to actually honestly make him the mastermind behind all the evil acts. Yeah. They could have made the boys their own masterminds but or the queen honestly all, exactly but all of the evil stuff if it's not tamara herself aaron is calling the shots yeah. the, the boys never they're too they're shown as clearly bumbling idiots and aaron is very clearly chosen to be like who 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 yeah i'll help you rape this dumb bitch because i like being evil it's like yeah it's just not necessary yeah. <laughs> there are ways you could have done that without being racist god damn anyway yeah yeah and in a modern retelling i'd actually be really interested in seeing how you or someone else any of our other listeners want to take a whack at it how you would retell this story kind of omitting the racism or making toning down the racism a lot making yeah. it not like Making it so that Aaron was guilty because he was guilty, not because he right. was black and he like he was guilty Literally. because he was black, like which is right. seemingly what happened in this story. But right. Yeah. This whole like the idea that I don't know, around act three, when you got to act three, I felt like the queen, Tamara, was the mastermind behind everything she was pulling the strings like she got captured and rather than going being sentenced to jail or whatever or Mm -hmm. being put on trial for crimes against rome or whatever like she was just okay well i want to be your wife now like she saw an opportunity and seized it and Mm like she was pulling the strings she got her husband to do kind of her bidding and what she wanted him to do she got Aaron to do what she wanted him to do her sons believed everything she said and she got them to do what they wanted to do so at at act three I saw this rather than being um a story where well, let's pin it all on the black guy and make black guys out to be evil. I was mm-hmm. seeing that, was hearing this as let's pin it on the woman and get everyone to realize that women are evil. 
like I was seeing a huge sexist side of this story as well right. as not not just the racism but the oh, sexism yeah. as no, well like there's a shit ton of misogyny in it because if you are not a pure snow driven woman who if you get raped you might as well just be good better off dead then you obviously are either that pure and wholesome or yeah. you're an evil witch like Tamara was like really yeah. those are the only two different types of women in Rome really yeah I'm actually really <laughs> curious to know like I mean I'm I don't I doubt that he ever said it anywhere but I'm actually really curious to know the ages of all of these people um mm. because okay Titus has grown-ass men as sons already so mm-hmm. he's so even if his if his sons are in their 20s, let's assume they're in their 20s because they're a fighting age and they're yes. going to war and all that. So we'll assume 20s. He's probably, he's at least 35. At least, yes. 35, 40, like, because they had kids really young at the time. They did all that stuff very early and they had shorter lifespans. So I'm going to assume Titus is around 40. How old was his daughter that got raped? Because if she was of marrying age and child, she could be, a, age oh, she could time, be as young as like 13, 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's fucking 12. Cause like Romeo and Juliet, another of Shakespeare's magnificent plays, they were 12. And mm-hmm. it's like, the idea that this girl at 12 was raped by question mark grown ass men. Mm-hmm. First, first she was married off to a grown ass man and then raped by two grown ass men and then had her hands cut off and her tongue cut out. Like she was likely just a child, still a child. There's, there's no sugarcoating. I highly doubt she was of, what no, we consider now to be legal age. Absolutely not. There's nowhere I the oldest I'd make her. And this is being generous. The oldest I'd make her is 15. Yeah. I I would highly doubt she was older than that. Yeah. To be perfectly which is, honest. Which is horrendous and yeah. awful. Like yeah. <laughs> like I mean, not that it wasn't already horrendous and awful because rape is terrible and everything yeah. that happened to her was terrible, but the but you add on to the fact that she was at max like 15 get the mm-hmm. come the fuck on yeah and that's why i drink <laughs> oh man shout out to <laughs> em and christine <laughs> oh my goodness we say shout out like they actually know us i would love to know you guys do you guys want to be my friend hashtag I mean- comment below we can tag them. We have a lot. <laughs> Allentown has a lot of episodes, so we that's could tag, true. We could tag at them and be see. like, "Hey, this new podcast in our network. We got a network going. We got, a, you know, we're here. We're not just like crazy weirdos. Maybe yeah. potentially obsessed with you. Um, you know, <laughs> to uh, go along with fucking." Halloween theme which we've kind of been going with as Sam read what is potentially the world's first slasher story Um, I chose a Halloween movie and this is difficult this was difficult choice for me because as I've said many times and if you're here on Allentown Presents you are aware we that's what we do is uh, (laughs) 
what I'm horror. here for. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. We're we are a horror review podcast mostly. Um and I had to find a movie that fits within the Halloween horror genre that isn't a movie that we would review on right. the uh, the regular Alan Town presents because those movies are special and they're meant to be you know scary considered and, yeah and so there's a in lot a of different way yeah it's a different type of movie so i chose to keep with my tradition here on real lit and stick with my um disney like made for disney movie thing i've been going with the last uh few episodes and i chose to do can, the can I- 1998 classic can i halloween town yes oh thank god oh god i was like please tell me you chose halloween town i'm gonna be really upset okay halloween town um there are a few decoms that had to do with horror at the time when this movie came out they chose i think Within the next couple of years, they did Halloween Town, they did Halloween Town 2, Halloween Town mm-hmm. 3, question mark, and Halloween Town High. Yes, there's there's a like a whole bunch of those. Um, and then they did Under Wraps, they did, which is a story about a mummy. They did um, the My Phantom favorite of- decom is. The Phantom, of, uh, the Phantom of the Megaplex is great, but my favorite decom yeah. is Don't Look Under the Bed. Yeah, don't look under the bed. Uh, if we, I love that movie. So when we talk about that movie, we're going to have to have Otis on because Otis and his sister watched that movie nonstop. Like that was one of their favorite movies. So I legitimately bought a, v- a blank VHS tape. So you could record it off TV? Recorded Don't Look Under the Bed off of the goddamn cable TV channel Hell yeah so that Hell i could yeah. watch don't look under the bed 24 7 whenever i fucking want <laughs> yeah i was so, obsessed with that movie so to our younger uh listeners this is back before the days of the descendants back before the days oh, yeah. of uh high school musical this is way way back in 1998 um mm-hmm. so there were no self like there were no smartphones there were barely cell phones computers they were, were like they were nokia little bricks and computers <laughs> were barely a thing so just keep that in mind as i describe this movie that we are basically without technology this is like technology yes. ground zero so um don't expect people to like, oh, well, why didn't they just get on a cell phone and call for help or do whatever? Like that didn't exist. Okay. In 1998. So slow your right. roll. Okay. We're back I in the day. There was no way to contact people. Right. I just remembered that Debbie Reynolds is in this movie and now I'm really yep. upset. I'm going <laughs> to cry. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm not, I'm, I'm okay. Halloween Town is a 1998 classic decom. It has been viewed by millions of children slash young adults um, all over the, I hope all over the world. I don't actually know. I'm going to assume all over the world um, because it's a pretty big, because it's it's a pretty big deal. And it did have, it did spawn two sequels on the Disney channel as well. It had Halloween Town 2. The first sequel actually was not that bad. It actually dealt with the rest of it. So, you know. 
and uh, Halloween Town High, which I admittedly never saw, but it was probably pretty good because the actress from Halloween Town, the main girl, uh, I did like her in the other Disney individual movies that she ended up in. So right. I would I would not be surprised if I enjoyed Halloween Town High. I just have not seen it as of right now. Right. Like Sam mentioned earlier, uh, this movie does star Debbie Reynolds. She is the main like attention grabber name out of this entire right. cast. Disney uh, decoms typically had one person who was well versed in it was um, to get the adults in entertainment, in. like to hey, get the adults, adults in. Yeah, there's if the, you want to watch something with actor. your kid watch this decom yeah here's one actor actress who you recognize that we're gonna put in this movie and for halloween town it was debbie reynolds now if you are younger and don't necessarily recognize the name debbie reynolds let me tell you you definitely know who she is (laughs) you Um, you know absolutely who she is so her biggest role in her entire life was singing in the rain she was the main female character in singing in the rain her Mm -hmm. character's name was oh give me just a second kathy selden she played a dance yes yes i love that song Uh, so she played if you haven't seen singing in the rain um brief synopsis it's about a movie that's being made um and the the behind the scenes production of a movie that's being made um debbie debbie reynolds plays yeah it is very meta debbie plays a dancer um and and she basically is a chorus girl from another movie that is trying to get into this movie that the main care the male main characters uh gene kelly and donald o'connor are putting together so gene kelly and donald o'connor are making this movie and they're looking for a female lead and debbie reynolds happens to be fucking fantastic and they decide to put her in as the female lead and it's about their friendship that develops and you know the love it's great situation that happens. it's fucking great it is literally it's all great classic musicals um if you ever just like if you look up a list of the hundred best musicals ever written or ever been on film, like Singing this in the Rain is, is going to be on that, that list. Top ten, for yes. sure. Yes, it's incredible. Um, and she is incredible. Her voice is incredible. If you have not seen Singing in the Rain and you're still like, I don't know who the fuck Debbie Reynolds is, um, she was also Grace's mom on Will and Grace. So she's Mrs. Uh, Bobby Adler on mm-hmm. Will and Grace. She voiced Charlotte from the animated Charlotte's Web that came out in the late 70s, early 80s. Basically the cartoon version that all of you probably saw growing up. Yes. If you didn't watch, if you haven't, if you weren't forced to watch the Dakota Fanning one, you probably grew up on the cartoon one and Charlotte was voiced by Debbie Reynolds. Um, yes. She also had a long stint on the show The Love Boat and had her own show called the Debbie Reynolds Show. Okay, all I that love being Debbie Reynolds. Sa- yes, she's incredible. Okay, all that being said, she is the main name draw of this movie uh, of people who, like, for people who weren't just kids, because kids were gonna watch yeah. this movie no matter what. This is a Absolutely. movie about a fucking a Halloween town. Like, to be fair, up. I was already though, in it. actually. 
Debbie Reynolds was a great draw that that Disney fell into for the kids too, because in terms of like big names, of course the adults would know who Debbie Reynolds is, but even the kids who don't know who she is, Debbie Reynolds as an actress is a dynamic fucking incredible woman that when you're a kid, you I just remember watching her and being like, oh my God, I want to be her. Like yeah. she's so, she's so animated. She's so fun. She's so weird and just yes. there. Whenever she's on the screen, whatever she's doing, you look at Debbie Reynolds and you're enraptured by her because she's yes. so, uh So if you grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, like me and Sam did, uh, you are very familiar with Debbie Reynolds. She voiced like nearly every grandma character on every cartoon that you ever watched. Like she was on Rugrats. She was on. You know what? I just remember different shows. Debbie Reynolds is um, the grandma in, okay, so if anyone ever read the Janet Ivanovich, um, Stephanie Plum novels, One for the Money was made into a, a movie with Katherine Heigl in it, and it was a great movie, it was a great adaptation of the book series. Um, Debbie Reynolds plays her grandma. And yeah. the grandma is a huge iconic character in that series as well. And Debbie Reynolds fucking like knocks it out of the park. No. She's great. So uh, in Halloween Town, Debbie Reynolds plays Aggie or Agatha, but mostly known as Aggie Cromwell. She is the grandma to uh, Marnie and dylan and sophie these three kids and she comes and visits it's halloween of course as the title suggests it's halloween um and she comes to visit her family because she always visits on halloween the kids don't ask any questions they're like it's halloween grandma's coming to visit hooray right okay grandma shows up on halloween and the kids are super excited and mom's like oh fuck like yeah come on mom why are you here uh the mom uh named what is her name in the show gwen she is from the teenage mutant ninja turtles movie the original teenage mutant ninja turtles from the 1990s she played april o'neill she was also in armageddon and a couple of other movies but as a kid i did not recognize her as all she was just a mom she was a very mom recognizable like face and persona at that time. I feel like she played a lot of mom or maternal figures in small roles back then because I remember seeing her face a bunch, but not in like big name stuff. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, so the mom um is just like confused, like, God damn it, mom, why are you here? I don't want you to be here, basically. They have a strained relationship. You can't we don't know exactly why at the beginning of the movie, but they have a strained relationship and it's visible. The kids are Obvious. noticing it. So you notice yes. it as a, the audience because you're seeing everything kind of from the kids' perspective. Um, yes. Because it's Halloween, Marnie, a 13-year-old girl, she just wants to go out to her friend's costume party, which is, you know, normal teenage shit. Like you want to go yes. out and do that. 
Her mom, Gwen, is very strict about it and says, no, we don't celebrate Halloween. We don't do that. Like, that's that's just not something we do. And Marnie, for the life of her, doesn't know why she's not allowed to celebrate Halloween. Like, all my friends get to go out trick-or-treating. All my friends get to do all these things. And the little girl, Sophie, she's like, I don't know, seven. She, I would say she's hella young in this yeah. movie. She's like seven and she just sits at the window on Halloween night and watches all the kids trick-or-treating and is just like sad and confused as to why she doesn't get to go (laughs) trick-or-treating. so sad. So after a fight with her mom um, about- Hold on, I'm sorry. Hold on, I'm so sorry. Pause. Isn't this young Sophie, I feel like I'm going nuts. She's like a Mara Wilson lookalike, right? Kind of. So her name is, um, the actress's name is Emily Roesk or Roeski. I'm about to um, look this bitch up right now. I saw now. her, when I saw her in the movie, I was like, oh shit, I recognize you from something. And I could not put my finger on mm-hmm. what it was from. She does kind of resemble um, Mara Wilson, but that's not it. So I looked up her filmography and she has only been in a handful of things. She was in the Halloween towns, all three of them. She was in one one random episode of ER and then the movie Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain, which is like the third Three Ninjas (laughs) movie. Like... Why did they make three of them? So it's not even the first one. It's the third one of this franchise. This was enough for a franchise. Great. Yeah, she was in the third one of the franchise and she played (laughs) Little Girl. That was her character name. So she's done like basically nothing. But she does have a very familiar face. Like uh, I didn't think she was Mara Wilson when I I watched it this time. But she did look very similar to another actress that I cannot think of the name of. I was like, I've seen you in something. No, I know I can't who it name is. It. It's because it's these three women that I always get messed up. I'm about to tell you who she is right now. Um, oh, shit. What is the name of that actress? Okay. Uh, Jenna Malone. So Jenna oh, Malone. Emily yeah, Roski. Okay. And Mara Wilson ruined my life all the time because I mix them up all the time. <laughs> I need to I need to see a picture of baby Jenna, Gemma Malone because I have not. Let's see, baby, no, young Jenna Malone. That's what I want. But yes, I see it. I can see a Gen, Jenna Malone for sure. So, yes, I literally all ways mix, mix them up. up. In particular, Mara and Jenna, but Mara and Jenna and Emily, because when I was young, I thought Sophie was played by Mara Wilson. And I learned when I was older that they were different children. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Mara Wilson was in a movie where she was the youngest of three siblings with a boy in the middle. And that would have been Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. So, yes, very similar. Okay, so Sophie, the little girl, she's upset she can't go outside and trick-or-treat. She doesn't understand why they can't celebrate Halloween. None of the kids really get it, and whatever. Grandma comes, mom's upset, but they have a nice family dinner anyways. 
uh, kids are sent upstairs, time to go to bed. And mom and grandma, Aggie, are, Gwen and Aggie are in the kitchen cleaning up after dinner. They're doing the dishes, talk, just talking. And their talking is clearly heated because they're aggressive. Yes. And um, we find out in this heated conversation that Aggie is actually a witch. And because this is, um, oh my gosh, what is her name? Marnie. Because Marnie is now 13 years old, this is her final Halloween for her to be able to use her witch powers and to start her witch training. So if she doesn't start training as a witch right now, it's gone forever. It's gone forever and she will never get to be a witch. Now, that being said, Marnie is the weird girl in class. She's into the creepy ghouly slasher filmy like she's kind of the goth chick she's the girl who's into halloween all year round and she doesn't really know why but that's just who she is and we find out in this argument that it's because she's a witch right she's meant to be a witch but for whatever reason we never actually find out the reason at this point gwen the mom is completely against raising her daughter as a witch she wants her daughters and or her family to be raised as normal kids in the human world their dad was a human so they're going to be raised human basically and grandma's like okay well if that's what you say i'm gonna go home then so they finish cleaning up and uh grandma leaves then uh marnie breaks into the kitchen where Gwen is just there like finishing cleaning up and is like how the fuck dare you basically I'm like I knew there was something weird about me I knew there was a reason why I'm the way I am why I'm weird why I like dark and creepy shit like why I don't have a problem with any of this Halloween stuff like I'm supposed to be a witch I'm supposed to do my training and Gwen is in like panic like deny mode she's just like nope nope what you think you heard you didn't hear that's not what happened we that's not us we're not that that's that's nothing so Marnie's like fuck that I want to be a witch and she decides in that moment that she's gonna chase her grandma down basically and follow her grandma to her grandma's house and start her training as a witch now Mm -hmm. her grandma goes and is sitting at the bus stop her brother Marnie's brother walks into Marnie's room and sees uh, that Marnie is like packing a bag or something and is like, what, what the hell are you doing? Like, no, just settle down. It'll be fine. And yeah. she's like, no, you don't understand. Grandma's a witch. I'm supposed to be a witch too. All this stuff. And she makes her brother look out the window and a bus stop appears that wasn't there before that isn't normally outside their window and grandma's standing at the bus stop and she's like where the fuck did that bus stop come from grandma's about to get on a bus to go home i'm gonna follow her i need to start my training as a witch and the brother is uh his name is dylan he is the most like in denial straight-laced nerdy kid that has ever existed in cinema 
He doesn't believe in ghosts or witches or paranormal anything. He doesn't believe in any of that. He is like, science is number one. Halloween is a sham. Like, all of this is bullshit. He's super straight. Like, the super straight, like, no, this is how it's going to be character. Yeah. So when this bus stop pops up, Marnie's like, look at this shit. Here's the fucking evidence. I'm going to go. So he's like, well, I can't let you go alone. Like, that's not safe because it's fucking Halloween and nighttime. Uh, So he's like, look, I will go with you and I will prove to you there's nothing weird about grandma. There's like, she's just going home. There's nothing weird or abnormal or anything. So the two kids follow grandma. They sneak out of the house. They follow grandma to the bus stop. They're like hiding. They sneak onto the bus um that she gets on to go to her home and they get on the bus then when the bus lands they get up out of their seats and realize that all the people that were around them are not people anymore they're like goblins and trolls and like they have deformed faces and like werewolves and things like that and they're like the fuck is going on And then Mm -hmm. they get off the bus and they are in Halloween town. So here is where the movie gets its name. Aggie Cromwell is basically a badass old lady witch who has been in the town of Halloween town for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, She owns a big estate. She's a really powerful witch. Everyone knows that she's super powerful, even though she's super old and her family is meant to take up her uh her mantle basically as soon as um she passes away her daughter is meant to become the head witch in charge and so on and so forth so that's why she's eager for marnie to take to become a witch to teach marnie as a witch um the kids get out of this bus and are like the fuck Uh everyone around them is a like basically looks like they are in an intense halloween costume competition everyone's like face is deformed they're some type of ghoul or creep or goblin or something um and they're just kind of in awe and freaking out they don't really pay attention to the grandma as she gets off the bus and starts heading home they're just like whoa what's happening while the two kids are freaking out about what where they are guess who pops up sophie the littlest girl because she also snuck on the bus because she followed her older siblings because that's what you fucking do in movies yes (laughs) are you a young child where's your sibling that's where you are yes so (laughs) the three kids are now in halloween town they're trying to follow their grandma and they're also in super shock. Like what, where the fuck did we just turn up? Um, and they're confused. So they're kind of wandering around confused. And then they bump into the mayor of the town called Calabar. And they explain to him who they are and where they're looking for. And he's like, oh, I know who that is. I know where she lives. Like, let me call for a cab for you. And he calls him a cab and this fucking skeleton cab pops up, which is super dope. Uh, This cab pops up. He's driven by a skeleton and he drives them to their grandma's house. 
Now, when they arrive at their grandma's house, it's like this big mansion type thing and it's locked up by this deadbolt and the kids can't get in until Sophie, who has already shown signs of magic in this movie already, like whispers to herself, basically, I wish the lock was open and then it's fucking open. So Sophie, badass bitch number one out here. Mm-hmm. she opens the gate they go in the door they like say hi to their grandma and grandma's like oh fuck what are you guys doing here like you're not Shit. supposed to be here your mom just explicitly say, told your me, mom about to be so fucking pissed at me right now yeah your mom just told me you're not supposed to be here and marnie's pleading with her grandma like no but i overheard you talking like i'm supposed to be a witch i want to start my witch training like let's go let's start this witch training and grandma's like, no, I really need to get you back. I need to do the responsible thing. If your mom like notices that you guys are gone, she's going to lose her shit. Okay, so grandma's basically in uh, control mode. Like your mom specifically said she doesn't want this. You need to go home. I need to get you on a bus out of here. Because we find out in this moment that the reason they only see their grandma once a year on Halloween is because there is only one one night a year when the residents of Halloween Town can leave Halloween Town and go to the mortal world. So we find out this is a different world altogether. It's not just a different place in, in the regular world. This is a completely right. different world. And Halloween is the only night that they can travel. So grandma's freaking out like, oh shit we gotta get you on a bus like this is the only night for to get you back home we need to get you home like your mom's gonna freak the fuck out she's gonna kill me and marnie's like no grandma i want to be a witch so she kind of wears grandma down and grandma's like okay i guess i can teach you like as much as i can tonight before the last bus leaves back to the back back to the mortal world because we find out also that time is different in Halloween Town and lots of time in Halloween Town. Several days can pass in Halloween Town and only an hour or two has passed in the mortal world. So Aggie is like, okay, well, I'll teach you as much as I can in a, you know, in a couple of days here in Halloween Town um, and you can go back as soon as we're done. And hopefully your mom doesn't notice in those couple of hours. Uh went went turns out mom fucking noticed because it's a mom <laughs> like and her kids but, were missing out of bed in the middle say, of the she night she has three children under the age of 13 she absolutely noticed that they're gone yes <laughs> like. so she noticed that her kids are gone and she's like fucking my mom god damn it aggie how dare you you took my kids i told you no you took them anyways so fucking gwen is pissed she right. hops on the next bus to Halloween Town because somehow she knows how to do that and ends up in Halloween Town and is like pissed. She's ready to be mm-hmm. mad. Um, we find out the reason that the kids all chose to come to Halloween Town to be with their grandma was not only to help or to get Marnie started in her witch training so that she could actually become a witch eventually but also because there's some sort of dark something happening in halloween town people are going missing um like first they see they appear uh crazy they walk around town and they appear a little bit crazier than they usually do and then the next within the next day 
they've disappeared and we don't know mm. why that's happening so aggie being the head witch in charge basically a badass bitch she's like i gotta figure out what the fuck is going on i have to you know she has a plan she's got a spell worked out she has uh merlin's wand um which is common in a lot of halloween films it always comes back to the old arthurian like merlin this idea that there was once a very powerful wizard and having something of his will help you in whatever is bothering you at the time right so she has like merlin's wand or talisman or something and she's planning this spell that will reveal the evil and basically allow her to defeat the evil um that's plaguing halloween town so the kids are like well we're here we want to help you with that too yeah so mom arrives in halloween town and finds the kids and is like you guys are in so much fucking trouble and grandma's <laughs> like they showed up i was gonna send them back on the bus as soon as i could like there was nothing like i was just waiting for another bus i was you know this, trying this to was tell not me. you this i did not go against your wishes yeah and and gwen is not hearing it like like a mom would like she has right. no time for this she's like bitch please i know good and well you wanted marnie to become a witch i know that you right. like enticed her or something like this is bullshit i don't want her to become a witch doesn't matter marnie gets in the middle of this argument and is like mom listen to me i want to become a witch i'm weird as fuck at school and now <laughs> i know why i'm weird as fuck like i'm an actual witch how about you let me fucking right. become a witch and the mom is just continuously like, no, you don't know what's what there is going on around here. Your dad was a human, right. so you're going to be human. And they argue again for a while. After this argument, they go to the bus station because it's time for them to get out of Halloween Town. Time to go back to the mortal world. And there's no bus. So they decide to talk to the mayor. Marnie's like, hey, I know the mayor. Like, we talked. He helped us before. Maybe we can go talk to him. Right. They go talk to the mayor and they find out that Gwen was like an ex of the mayor. Like they used to date a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And, and Calabar sitting in a tree. Yeah. So there's like these weird, like flirty love signals happening around uh, Gwen and Calabar. And Calabar's like, yeah, I can help you get out of town. Like I'll figure, you know, I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll, he basically, he promises to make their, dreams come true right um while that is happening aggie is trying to finish her spell and she's told by luke that he knows where the bad guy is and he can take her to him so she follows luke they go into this old gross like abandoned movie theater and she sees all of these people that are just like frozen, basically like statues. All the people that have gone missing in Halloween Town, they're frozen inside this theater as statues. And then where the screen is, this big like Nazgul looking Grim Reaper dude (laughs) comes out and is like, you need to stop. You need to give me Merlin's wand. Like I'm gonna take control of Halloween Town. I'm gonna bridge the gap and make sure that our citizens of Halloween Town can roam the regular world freely and do whatever the fuck they want. Basically, he's willing to kick ass and take names and he doesn't give a shit. 
And Aggie's just like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, that's not happening. Meanwhile, while she is talking to him, Marnie is begging her mom, like, you don't understand. Bad shit is happening here. Grandma's trying to fix it, but she's not strong enough alone. She needs another Cromwell witch. Right. And she's begging and pleading with her mom. And her mom finally is like, okay, fine. Let's go find grandma. Let's see what this is about. Right. So they go and find grandma at the theater. And uh, Gwen jumps, like, busts open the doors and walks in right as, like, creepy dude is yelling at grandma, like, uh, I'm going to take over this town. You need to give me this thing, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, no, mom. And Gwen, like, casts a fucking spell because, surprise, she's also a witch. Mm-hmm. He casts a fucking spell against the dude and, like, gets him to back up a little bit. Then she yes. goes to her mom, tries to get her mom, like, up and out. But mom's already, the spell's already been cast on the mom. Then mm-hmm. Calabar, the bad guy, like, shoots these like i don't know cgi shitty like electrical sparks at the mom and she gets turned to stone too or whatever it is paused put on pause yes so frozen frozen so mom and grandma are frozen and marnie is sitting at the back door trying like she's really trying to get to them to try and help them and uh, Dylan and Sophie, their brother and sister, are holding her back saying, no, don't do that. You can't do anything. You're not a witch yet. We can't right. help them. We can't help them from here. You getting frozen isn't going to help them. So Dylan, right. being being the straight edge guy, he's helping a lot in this moment. He mm-hmm. kind of brings her down, makes her realize, yeah, I need, you know, I need to think this through. We need to find a new solution to this problem. Right. So they leave mom and Gwen there and they go back to Aggie's house and they figure they Marnie remembers all of the ingredients to the spell that is needed to relight Merlin's wand. So they go through Halloween town. They need like werewolf's hair and they trick the hairdresser werewolf into they cut his hair a little bit. They need Mm -hmm like the sweat of a ghost and like all these other things so <laughs> there's like a a 15 minute section in this movie where they're just like collecting all the ingredients from the random other residents of halloween town they get back to cromwell manor and they brew a potion that is supposed to relight the wand they make the potion all nice they put it in the wand and then marnie can't remember the incantation to make the spell relight luckily her little witch of a sister made up a song to remember oh, because, shit. because she's seven and that's how she remembers things. So she made a little song yep. to the incantation and she sings it and Marnie sings it and then they get the thing relit. Now, they go to the theater to help their mom and their grandma and realize that there's nothing that they can do with the wand. And Calabar Mm. just wants the wand. So Mm. they run out of the theater. They're like, oh, fuck. We got to make sure he doesn't get this wand. So they run out of the theater. And who do they run upon but Luke, the fucking, like, bad guy who was helping Calabar, like, be bad, basically. Asshole, yeah. Yeah. So Luke 
pleads to Marnie. He's like, listen, I didn't know he was going to go that wild. I didn't know he was that bad. I only followed him because he made me look good. Like he gave him like a facelift. Basically he was like, I, I only did it because he, he promised me that if, that if I did, he would help me in this way. Um, I didn't know he was going to do that. Let me help you with your, like what you have to do. Um, and we find out that just to reverse the curse that Calabar has laid on the town, basically, Marnie has to get Merlin's wand, like, inside of the giant pumpkin that is in the center of town. Basically, she has to light the candle inside the pumpkin, but there's a right. very specific spot that this specific Merlin's wand goes to that gives Halloween Town all of its magic and lore and amazingness. So Luke helps her out. Calabar reveals himself. Uh, and we're like, like freaked out. All the village people are freaked out and they start understanding what his intention was. He's like, right. follow me. And we will make sure that you guys are not banned from the mortal world anymore. We're going to take over the mortal world. We're going to go back. Like, that's our place. We belong there, too. We're going to take over. Like, fuck the humans. This is our world. And people start believing him. Like, people in Halloween Town are like, yeah, that sounds actually really good. Like, let's do that. <laughs> you know, like, they're drinking the yeah. Kool-Aid. Yes, and for sure. He and then he reveals himself to be the mayor of the town. So Gwen's ex-boyfriend, basically, is the bad guy who just froze her in a theater and has kidnapped all these other people and froze them in a theater. So he's like, he basically says, I will help everyone and I will make it so that we are in charge of the mortal world. As long as you guys bring me Merlin's wand, which Marnie, Marnie Cromwell has. So we have to find right. Marnie Cromwell. Or in that instant, we see someone walking through the crowd in a, a big hooded cloak, which Marnie was wearing like five minutes before. Um, right. She's walking through the crowd, like trying to make it so that Calabar doesn't notice her. But he does, of course. And mm -hmm. he's like, you thought you could run away from me and he shoots his little like jedi lasers or elect <laughs> electricity at her yes and fucking shocks her down to the ground and none of the people in the fucking town have a problem with this somehow like they all yeah. know that, that obviously marnie everything is, is cool marnie is a young teen girl but fuck it like let this dude just murder mm -hmm. her in the streets mm -hmm. so so he shocks her down to the ground and thinks that he's one and he goes up to the body and is like shocking it and ready to do his big reveal and get his fucking Merlin's wand or whatever from her. And he pulls back the hood and finds out it's actually Luke dressed mm. in the cloak that Marnie was supposed to be in. And he's like, oh, shit, what the fuck? And we see Marnie at the top of the giant pumpkin about to put to place Merlin's wand in the pumpkin. Yeah. And Caliber's like, oh, hell no. And he zaps her too, like as she's sitting on top of the pumpkin. So she is about to drop it into the thing. She's like right there, like it's almost out of her hand. Her hand's almost open right. enough for it to drop. And then he zaps her into like petrified ghost or whatever. Frozen. And, and it doesn't drop. So 
he's like, hell yeah, I fucking won. The brother and the sister are like, God damn it. Our sister is dead. Our mom is <laughs> dead. Our grandma's dead. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? And then it pans back to Marnie's hand and it opens just a tiny bit. And the fucking thing drops into its rightful place in the middle of the jack-o'-lanterns. And the spell is broken. All the witches and wizards and ghouls and goblins and everything that was frozen in the theater, they come out. Calabar's like, oh, fuck, shit's about to get real. And a Mm -hmm. whole mob of people from the theater come down the street with a bone to pick with Calabar because they know like bitch how hey bitch you you. fucking froze me excuse the fuck me yeah so aggie being the head bitch in charge that she's been this whole time is leading the charge and she's like oh no 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 sir you don't get to take control you're not doing this shit to the mortal world you're not doing a damn thing to halloween town you fucked us (laughs) all over like we going for it so she starts putting a spell on him or a counter spell i guess towards him and he's like ha 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 one cromwell witch are you kidding me you can't do anything to me i'm such an amazing man bullshit and and aggie's like no i am going to defeat you and then gwen from the back is like a bitch it's not just one cromwell witch it's two who Cromwell witches and Gwen comes up the mom and stands right next to Aggie the grandma and they start simultaneously doing the spell at Calabar and mm-hmm. he's like a little like you can see the concern on his face but he's still like nah I'm not super this doesn't hurt that like, bad it's this isn't so bad <laughs> <laughs> and while this is happening the brother the little brother Dylan um is like man i fucking hate that guy like this guy is such a piece of shit i wish i could just do this guy and then little sparks appear at his fingertips and we find out that not only is our sophie and marnie witches but dylan is also becoming a warlock Mm -hmm. so marnie is like dylan look at your hands You're a warlock, dude. Like, let's go fucking help grandma and mom. So Marnie and Sophie and Dylan walk up to where Aggie and Gwen are standing and chanting their uh, spell. And Marnie basically has a whole, like, speech that she gives. Like, maybe one witch wasn't enough or two witches weren't enough. But how about five Cromwell witches and warlocks and uh, her and Sophie grab mom's hand and mom's holding grandma's hand and they're all in a line grabbing and Dylan's just sitting mm-hmm. there with his arms locked because he's like there's no fucking way fucking there's warlock. no way I'm a warlock this is, not like, this is bullshit nope this is not real this is not real I'm not I'm not real he doesn't believe that he is basically and as anyone who's ever watched a children's movie knows, if you don't believe that you are a thing, then you're not that thing. You don't you got have, that power, yeah. Yeah, you have to fully believe that you have the power or yeah. else you don't have it. So the four witches are holding each other's hands and reciting this incantation trying to stop Calabar. And they've almost got him down, but he's also really powerful. 
and right. they can't quite get him down. And Marnie's like, Dylan, you have to we join fucking us. We need you. Like, we need you. This is this has to be a whole thing. So Dylan's like, fuck. Okay, I what guess. Up? So he grabs Sophie's hand or stands in the middle, grabs their hands, and all five of the Cromwell, witches and warlocks, recite this incantation, and they defeat Calabar, and basically he's destroyed. Halloween Town mm-hmm. goes back to normal, and everything is happy in the end of the movie. At the very end, Marnie really wants to stay in Halloween Town to continue her training as a witch. Right. She wants to continue training with grandma to become a witch and she's still upset at mom like she's happy that her mom is alive of course happy that nothing bad really happened to mom but she's still mad you know that teen madness that you are at your mom when she won't let you do something that you really want to do uh marnie is feeling that and she's like mom no i want to become a witch like why not just let me stay here in halloween town and i'll come back when i'm done with my witches training Right. And then Gwen with a fucking ball out of left field is like, you're going to continue your witch's training, but you're going to do it in the mortal world. And I'm going to be the witch that's training you. Like, it's not going to uh, be grandma. Shit. It's going to be me. me. So, so it's we see gonna this. Be my. Yeah. So we see this complete turnaround of the character Gwen. She went from completely hating where she came from and the fact that she is a witch to embracing her witchy side and being willing to teach her daughter her daughters and son uh hopefully that they are you know how to embrace their witch side how to deal with their powers how to control their things and um there were two sequels made of this film so we can only hope that they continued on and got to see their grandma some more and got to fix the pro- all the problems that were in Halloween Town and everything like that. So, right. Uh, the problems that were still around at the end of this movie were uh, who is going to be the mayor of Halloween Town now? Right. <laughs> and, and what happened to Calabar is a real problem. And we find out yep. in the next movie. So, if you're interested we in finding out indeed. what happens next, watch uh, Halloween, Halloween Town 2. Town two. The Return of Calabar. <laughs> I would say, isn't it called Calabar's Revenge or something like that? Like the Return of Jafar. Yeah, I I can't remember what it's called exactly, but it's one of the. <laughs> like, it has Calabar's name in it. Yeah. Cool. So they're alive then. Great. Thanks for letting me know. Spoiler yeah, you're right. Alert. It's it's Calabar's Revenge. So. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, uh, Halloween Town. I would say it is a really good family movie. Oh my um, god, so good. It is a classic. There, you know, it's Disney Channel, so there's no cussing, there's no bad, there's no bad language, no right. bad, like no super scary deaths. Like some of the characters in this movie are kind of scary. Um, but that's just like props, like they're not actually yeah. scary, and they're not trying to scare you. They're just right. like, oh, here's a dude that looks like a werewolf like yeah you know, oh here's like, an entire yeah. skeleton who just apparently is also alive yeah. so if if your kids are really really nervous of scary things like they're really 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 freaked out by like things that are slightly scary 
they probably yeah. won't like this film but otherwise this film will be fine all ages oh, yeah. like like I know three and four year olds who can handle this movie it's not that scary I was trying um, to think about how I would categorize this in terms of the like magical types of movies out there already and I would say that this is a good like cross between in terms of vibes this is a good cross between like Harry Potter and Hocus Pocus like yeah. every movie there I'd are say some it's, little say bit of lead throughs yeah I'd say it's actually less scary than both of those films because no it's like, absolutely less scary than both of them it's it's basically yeah. like if you combined those and they had a a young baby and you're watching their baby and because it's a baby it's not quite as grown up yet so it's not very scary it's not as scary as any of their parents but it definitely has the like disney and like funny vibes that hocus pocus has in terms of the like mixing the human world with the real world and like the you know the outrageous kind of costumes and the outrageousness of the like only on a Halloween type of vibe. And then the Harry Potter aspect comes in with the like, oh, our worlds are connected, but they're separate. Oh, you can be someone who straddles both of those worlds, but it's just something that you have to work through, you know? like all of those kinds of concerns that's like the most like kind of how harry potter it is but it was definitely like a formative spooky slash not spooky film when i was growing up like i loved halloween when i was growing up and i remember not like i remember not being scared of this movie yeah i was scared of other movies that happened uh, that were decoms and this yeah. was not one of the movies that i was scared of no this um, is not this is not a scary movie unless you are really 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 scared of like the slightest bit of creepiness yeah like this is nothing um the characters like i described earlier the like you know the mummy and the zombie and the frankenstein-ish characters like it's all over the top costuming. They all right. have really big like character heads like you would see at, on a person at Disneyland. It's not just like right. a person in makeup, like a exactly. regular person in makeup. More than more often than not, it's a it's big very giant exaggerated. Head. Yes. It's very exaggerated. So it's not scary like in a normal scary sense. I, I wouldn't consider right. it scary at all. If you have a super young child, you know, toddlers, maybe like four and under, just kind of have this aversion sometimes, like it depends on your toddler, but they have an aversion yeah. sometimes to people who are dressed up in costumes, they can either yeah. love them or hate them. So for those ages, you might not want to have them in the room when you're like older kids are watching this movie but otherwise but and especially if you have a toddler who doesn't care or who loves them then you would be totally fine exactly they would be totally fine watching this because there's so much color there's so much fun yeah one of like one of the kids i watch is super into like spooky creepy shit and he has loved this movie since he was like three so yeah (laughs) it's not like it's not a big deal 
Um, other fun oh. facts about this movie. Uh, the composer of the score for this movie is Mark Mothersbaugh. We have talked about him several times on the Alan Thompson's podcast. Um, but if you don't know who Mark Mothersbaugh is, he was a part, one part of the famous 80s group Devo. They sang the song Whip It. Uh, he has done yes. a ton of music in film and television. He did the themes to such amazing shows as Pee-wee's Playhouse, Rugrats, Adventures in <laughs> Wonderland, the show Dumb and Dumber, the show Rocket Power. He did Clifford the Big Red Dog. He did Rugrats All Grown Up. He did Regular Show. He did the Carrie Diaries. He did The Last Man on Earth. He has done he a Rocket Power ton of shit he's done a ton of things he did uh, a bunch he's done a bunch of different scary movies uh that we've talked about on our show he did the hall the rugrats movie of course he Mm -hmm. did uh the adventures of rocky and uh bullwinkle he did rugrats in paris he did sugar and spice he did all three of the halloween towns he did the Even Stevens movie. He did Rugrats Go Wild. Well, that he did makes like, sense. like a ton of films. He did yeah. Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen and Her oh, Fully shit. Loaded. He did that Nick and girl Ma- was a one-time teenage drama queen. Yeah. Oh he my did, god, uh, that song. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, Fanboys, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Like he did fucking Hotel Transylvania. Like the man has done fucking work in hollywood he has come up with some of the greatest uh film scores in the last 20 or 30 years uh maybe not greatest but definitely most recognizable like when you hear something by him you're like huh that sounds kind of familiar and then you look at who did the credits for it and you're like oh shit that was mark mothersbaugh no wonder i recognized it because a lot of his (laughs) stuff sounds a lot of his stuff sounds similar um, yeah. And he does a lot of really cool things, but you've definitely heard stuff by him. Uh, and then, like I've said before, there are two sequels to Halloween Town. So once you finish the family fun romp with your kids in watching the original Halloween Town during this spooky season, you can go on and watch Halloween 2, Calabar's Revenge, and Halloween Town High, where the kids get to actually go to high school and figure out more about their lives uh, and how to deal with magic and everything like that so i highly recommend this movie if you have a family and kids who are you're looking for something spooky to watch something family friendly and spooky to watch it's in the same vein as like the casper movie with christina ricci from the 90s and it has just family and the Adams Family Values that came out in the 90s. Like, it's very similar. Like, it's spooky and Halloween-y, but it's not, like, scary and creepy. Exactly. It has just the right amount of, like, seriousness vibes for the almost, like, you know, those kids that are on the cusp of wanting to be older kids without they're not actually preteens but they're and they're not actually they're absolutely not teens but they're not quite preteens yet but they're old enough kids that 
they want to be edgier, you know, they yeah. want to ha- watch stuff that has more serious undertones to it, but you yeah. also don't need to scare the fucking shit out of them. Yeah. This is that vibe that this yes. is the exact perfect vibe for it. You know, yes. this is one of those family movies, like many of the movies that we've watched so far or that we've talked about on this podcast so far. It's one of those movies where your, your family, it's good to watch all together. Um, and it's not going to scare your kids. It's not going to freak your kids out. There's no bad language. There's no nudity. You know, it's Disney. Like this was the DCOMs, as I've said before, were Disney's attempt to get older children yeah. and young teens interested in their what they had to offer basically they had to prove to these kids that it wasn't just all sunshine and rainbows and happy mickey mouse skits it was real things there was you know these movies all of these decoms had to do with like bullying and the insecurities that you feel in middle school and early you're a strange kid and you don't fit in with lots of other you know popular things going on and so the decoms are a really good place to start if you are kind of in the in-between like there's parents I know as a nanny I know there are a lot of very cut and dry like this is for little kids like Nick Jr. (laughs) Disney Jr. like yes Jake and the Neverland Pirates uh Dora the Explorer stuff like that is for a specific age range of kids Yes. And then there's an awkward point after your kids kind of phase out of that and they don't need to answer like, what letter do you see on the screen? Right. Type questions. It's clearly an H. Why do you keep asking me this question? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's an age of kids where stuff is, it's hard to find things that are okay for your kids to watch because right. some of the stuff that they're going to want to watch later in life, like, 13, 14, 15 year olds, you know, has, you know, a tiny bit of nudity or a little bit of cussing and things like that and deals with a little bit more complex emotions, you know, Mm -hmm. puberty, puberty type things are addressed in their body changes are addressed in those type of movies. The DCOMs did a really good job of finding movies to fit that gap between the childish, like, here's the letter a movie Mm -hmm. like programming and the your body is changing and now you're bleeding from your crotch yeah and you want to kiss a opposite sex member or a not opposite sex member or you suddenly think about shit that kids don't think about (laughs) the decoms did a really good job of find making programming creating programming that was made for kids in that age range And uh, some of them do deal with, there is a romantic aspect in some of those decoms, but it's never over the top. Like, oh, I'm I'm going to leave and go have sex with this guy in in wherever because our parents are gone. It was like, no, like I've never kissed someone before and I'm going to kiss that guy on the cheek. And that was like, oh shit. That's like yes. the most you get in uh, most of these cute. Yeah. No, I was going to say that like I re- <clears throat> the biggest thing I remember from Halloween Town was that when I had watched it for so many years, I remembered Luke and I remember like 
liking Luke, obviously, because he helps them. But I had not, you know, thought about him and Marnie in terms of, you know, being more than just like, oh, wow, they're really good friends. You know, he clearly decided that he liked the kids. And then the Mm -hmm. next movie, because they're older now, is when they started dating. And I was like, that was when I was starting to date. And I was like, oh shit and so now that movie it had that aspect to it but it again wasn't over the top it wasn't all of a sudden a love story between marnie and luke spoiler alert but like that aspect was there with it like they handle they handle mostly story uh and less the type of you know like genre um pitfalls that you would get adult stories falling into like romance or things like that you know yeah and the best part for me as a kid watching decoms the best part was that i never felt like i was being talked down to the stories Mm -hmm. are all presented from the kid's point of view and that's a really easy and awesome way to connect to their audience that I think a lot of other movies did not necessarily do a great job at. Um, DCOMs did a really good job at bringing everything and telling it from a kid's perspective. It never felt like it was an adult telling me a story from a kid's perspective. About how to be a kid, yeah. It always felt like it was a kid telling me about being a kid. And yes. that was super relatable. Yeah. So for sure, you think about, you know, the fact that Marnie is what, 13 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she makes this decision and she has no fucking idea where the hell she's going. The fact that she's going to a different dimension, obviously. And yeah, when you're an adult and you watch that, of course, you're like this goddamn fucking kid. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you know, when you're an adult, you obviously understand why. Gwen is the way she is but when you're a kid you don't you understand Marnie the most and that's why she's the protagonist because she's the target audience because when you're that age you know it it's one of those things where it's targeted for kids so that kids feel seen but it is also simultaneously targeted to adults so that adults can look at this and be like listen to your kids listen to how they feel listen to the types of things that what you think you sound like is not what you actually sound like what you think you're doing for them is not actually getting across to them what you're trying to do you have to you know figure out a way to talk to your kids and treat your kids as they are growing up a different way from when they were literal children you Mm -hmm. have to adjust in those respects and yes that is a weird phase obviously and that you know that's why mistakes are always going to be made but you know Gwen wasn't being evil when she was trying to keep Marnie from being a witch any more than Marnie is a you know an idiot for following what she wanted And going to try and become a witch, you know, if communication had been happening between her and her mom, that was important communication, that wouldn't have been a problem. You know what I'm saying? There's something for everyone that 
that they're supposed to be taking away from those stories. Yeah. So this movie is great. Um, if you have a family, I highly recommend watching this uh, this Halloween or next Halloween. Putting it into your Halloween rotation if every have, day. If you have kids, three sixty five. There's there's definitely uh, there's quite a bit of Halloween type movies out there, and it's really easy to mix up movies that are made for adults and made for kids they have very similar titles but let me tell you halloween town on disney plus is where it's at it is a good family-friendly comedy um there's you know there's different kooky characters throughout the film a lot of different things that you just some good fun while trick-or-treating are things that you're like you would see in this movie um it's good fun so i highly recommend watching this if you have a family if you watch this as a kid i highly recommend going back and watching it again um if you're single without a family this might not be the movie for you Uh, (laughs) it might turn you off of families maybe for a while it is (laughs) okay it it is very family heavy and very like teen angst like driven like marnie is clearly a girl who's rebelling against her mom um yeah if if you're a teenager i would say unless you have a nostalgic aspect associated with the movie as a teenager you that might be the only demographic that might not care about this like for us when we were teens we cared about it because we had the background of we watched it when we were that target demographic. Yeah. So when well, they like, were making the sequels and the, the characters were growing with us and we would watch those movies, those movies matter to us. But yeah. teens now that are separated from that, they, they don't have that. That could yeah. potentially be the only demographic that I, I could see would watch this and be like, I don't give a fuck about this movie. Yeah. I would, <laughs> like, I it would doesn't say, speak anything to me. I would say teens, like older teens, 15, 16, yes. 17, they don't, they're not going to care about this movie. And uh, single adults, like if you don't have a kid in your life, you're probably not yeah. going to care about this movie because there, it's you not have scary. To deal with kids in your life. Yeah. It's not scary. It's like a cute, it's like a cute story, but it's not, it's not anything I go out of my right. way to watch. Um, right. But everyone else, if you have a family out there, if you have, if you are a younger person, um, if you have younger people in your life who are looking for something to watch around the Halloween f- time and you're tired of watching you know the nightmare before christmas or hotel transylvania for the 788th time like put on halloween town it's something new yeah kind of breaks up the monotony and it's pretty good debbie reynolds you can't say debbie reynolds come on yeah and okay amen seven word synopsis witches in alternate reality have bad times. <laughs> Damn it. Seven words is hard. Shit. Let's see. Uh, those kids snuck out, didn't get punished. 
There you go. Yes. Nice. There you go. They saved the day at the end, so they didn't get in trouble for sneaking out of the house. But let me tell you, if I had kids and they snuck out of the fucking house on Halloween, let me know you getting fucking punished, you dumb bitch. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, talk to your kids about family shit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, (laughs) So... This movie definitely brings up an issue that is prevalent in a lot of movies aimed at this age range, like kids, just blanket kids, not young kids, not teens, but kids kids. that like that age between like five and 15, that 10 year gap. There is a point in a child's life where parents should be letting them in on you know some Some of the stuff stuff. that's happening around them um and movies and life experience have taught me that this isn't always the case and parents are often very scared or very timid and very set in their ways that my kid's not old enough this is too complex of a topic to be talking about with my kids um And it really undermines children. Like there, there are things them up. Oh, it does. There are things that were happening in my life when I was in middle school, like around middle school age, that my parents didn't want to let me in on the whole story because they were afraid it was going to scar me or afraid about. I don't know what they were afraid of, but they didn't want to let me in. And, you know, I kind of knew what was happening. Um, yeah. Let's just back that in the caveat. back of my, the kids yeah, pretty much the kids know. know in the back of my mind. I knew, but because my parents weren't the ones to upfront and tell me, I just kind of ignored it and pretended yeah. that it wasn't true, that it wasn't happening, that that wasn't something that concerned me. And now as an adult, my dad um, openly talks to me about these things that were happening when I was a teen that I don't know about, don't remember. And it's, and some of it is completely shocking and jarring to me because it's things that they were not willing to tell me or not willing to even bring up the slightest bit of information about when I was a kid. And it's like, you Jesus. need you need you have to, to mention something let, you have to figure out a yeah. way to verbalize it to the kid enough that they understand you don't have to go into all the fucking gory details yeah that's exactly. not necessary but what you do yeah. have to do is if it's an important thing you have to let them know about it let them know about it in a way that they can understand but let Absolutely. them know about it you can't Basically, just keep it from them. That's the worst possible fucking decision. Yeah, this movie is basically a, like, don't keep shit from your kids movie. Like, <laughs> that's what we learned. Yes. Gwen was trying to keep the fact that her Everything. kid was going to be a witch from her kid, and it backfired, and her kid wanted to be a witch even more, because that's how kids are. So, and it also backfires, you know, you can talk about the fact that if 
she had not been like that about her mom and had not been like that about her kids, she would have been more involved with her mom and her mom would have had help while all of this was growing in Halloween Town to begin with. And it wouldn't have gotten to the wor- the really awful stage that it was at when Marnie finally came into Halloween Town. It, yeah. They, there would have been that support with Agatha the entire time because oh, everyone absolutely. would have been fucking communicating together. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah, pay. I would say this movie is eye opening in that you really need to pay attention to your kids in the time when your kids move on from asking basic questions to asking really in depth questions about what's going on in the world around them. You need to be paying attention and answering those to the best of your ability. Don't just like let your kids go and keep believing that, you know, their hoo-ha is bad and they shouldn't mm-hmm. touch it. Like, no, like have the real conversation. <laughs> your kid's old enough to have the real conversation. That works when they're three. It doesn't work when they're 13. Like you exactly. have to adjust. Exactly. Just just like you eventually end up opening up and having the sex talk with your kids, you need to be having talks about the real things that are happening in your family, in your life. Like if this is just an example if for some reason you don't talk to uncle so-and-so in your life, okay, don't just say to your kids forever and ever, oh, we don't talk to him. We, just we don't, don't talk, talk to him. him. We don't talk to him. Because eventually your They're kid- They're going to be like, why? Your, well, your 13-year-old, 14-year-old is going to be like, well, I'm going to go fucking talk to him. Nobody wants to talk to him. I'm going to talk to him. Yep. You need to- There's a point in your kid's development- and you'll recognize it. You'll see it um, in their early teens. There's a point where your kids are going to start asking questions about all these things that they've never been able to have answers, real answers to. And you're going to need to give your kids real answers. Like, why don't you talk yeah. to uncle so-and-so? What did he do? What did we do? Why are we not friends? And it exactly. can't just be like, oh, he was just weird. Because. Yeah. yeah, no. There's a point where your kids need to know real answers because eventually they're going to ask real questions. And if you don't give them real answers, they're going to find the answers on their own and it's not going to be good. And you only have yourself to blame for the fact that they are not prepared enough and do not have, they're not guarded against some of the shit that they're going to find because you didn't give them the necessary information that they needed to be able to navigate those feelings. Yeah. Okay. (sighs) That was a diatribe. So let's finish. (laughs) So let's finish this out. Uh, that was Halloween Town, and it's a really good movie. You should check it out. That was also um, Titus, Andronicus, Titus Andronicus, which was, as we now know, literature one of literature's first slasher flicks. Slasher, the worst thing Shakespeare's text. ever written for many people's opinions. <laughs> yes, uh, probably for many reasons. Uh, plagiarism yes. probably is not the only reason it was bad, but I'm gonna guess plagiarism is. <laughs> Probably was a big part of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, if oh, you enjoyed, <laughs> if you enjoyed our talks about Halloween Town or Titus Andronicus, or you have more to ask us about either one of those things, or want to chime in on your opinions on either one of these things, uh, you can tweet us at Allentown Pod. 
You can Ooh. email us at allentownpresents at gmail.com or you can find us Ooh. on Facebook at Allentown Presents. And Ooh. as always, from me and Sam, this has been real. It has been lit. It has been and real. You better keep it real lit. That's right, real lit. Bye. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs>